0: This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex. Yeah, Shane.
1: Let's start this episode.
0: Let's do it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 64.
1: And it is a Mike Tyson fight night?
0: It is. This is my first Mike Tyson fight in my entire life. Really? Well, I how old would I have been when he bit the year off? Holyfield.
1: I don't know. I saw that in uh, a hotel room with my dad.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah well, it was a pretty historic day. But it's also a very Christmassy time right now, and I'm filled with the Christmas spirit, I won't lie to you.
0: Yeah, it's an exciting night, and we've got an exciting episode for everybody. We have Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color. She has a master's in science and public health and is a registered dietitian nutritionist. She knows all the things there are to know about baby led weaning, feeding picky eaters, and how to develop good eating habits with your kids.
1: And yes, this was an interview with Jennifer that I'm still cringing at. We were at the cottage. Oh, boy. And uh, we couldn't figure out how to get the H6, which is the recording device we use, not to crackle. So she comes on the Zoom, and I'm just like, oh, fuck. I'm like swearing to myself. I'm like, (laughs) motherfucker. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, Alex is going to be the PR person, and I'm going to be the technical guy who's just stumbling around trying to figure it out. For five minutes, I'm fucking around with the wires and Alex is just sitting there, not doing anything, not helping me out at all. This woman thought we were the least professional people. She must have. She was very kind to us she once was very we got kind. it rolling. But it was like that inner heat you get when you're like putting IKEA furniture together and you're just sweating from the inside out. That's the way I felt. And then I had to just I had to look after uh, Betty and Lucy anyway because they were going a little yeah. uh, wild. But I was so glad not to be a part of this interview because I couldn't show my face.
0: Well, you know, it was it was probably for the best if you were like at that level of stress because Jennifer and I did have a great conversation.
1: And we, we ended up moving the entire operation to the oh, kitchen. Yeah. For some reason, the kitchen at your cottage was able to not crackle and pop.
0: And snap. But uh no it was a great interview and yeah I wouldn't have wanted you to sit through it feeling how you're feeling and I'm sorry for not uh being smoother while it was all happening. Well
1: we're living we're learning and you know we just had a meeting afterwards and it was just like hey if that ever happens again <laughs> be cool let me mutter to myself and be frustrated and you just say hey no worries everything will be fine sorry we can't hear you right now Jen cuz we couldn't hear Jennifer either cuz I kept pulling out the wires But she could hear us, and I was swearing at myself. The
0: embarrassing thing was is that I was kind of having a conversation with her. So she'd be speaking, yet you're fiddling with the wires. So I'm trying to listen to her so I can respond back. But she's going in and out of, you know. Frequency. Yeah, yeah. it was awful. It was terrible. Great interview, though, in the end. Was it? Yeah, it was great. I didn't edit this It was great, and if you are listening to this, have no fear because you will learn a ton. She answered all the listener questions that were submitted, and, and we really got into eating and food issues with kids. It was really good.
1: She was very kind and uh, understanding of the issue, but I did feel like we lost her respect.
0: <laughs> Maybe we'll have to ask.
1: Um, but yeah, then we have Dilshad.
0: Yes. So we have Dilshad Bamgara who you would recognize as the gentle mama. She's a gentle parenting activist and she's pretty honest. Like she's on the learning curve too. And she just does a ton of research. She tries to be a you know, like what, like a pillar of research, a place that you can go. That's how, exactly the how I would
1: word it. Yeah, the center pillar of research.
0: <laughs> there you go. And uh, she, again, very calming, very nice. Oh, and, listening
1: to her voice, it's like, no shit, she's the gentle right? mama. Because there's a podcast I listen to called Nothing Much Happens, and it's a podcast for people who have sleep troubles. And she just tells a meandering story. This woman's name is Catherine Nikolai. And I think Dilshad might even have a more relaxing voice than Catherine Nikolai, who that's her job to put you to sleep.
0: It could be Dilsha's second she, career. But she's
1: so perfect for being the gentle mama. And I came in with uh, a little bit fired up. I, I kind of wanted, just for interest's sake, to have a confrontation with her or disagree with her because there's some things about gentle parenting I don't agree with. Right. But then I'd come at her and she'd... She'd acquiesce a little bit or say, you know, it's not as exact science. Even I, too, lose my cool. And I was like, ah, shit, and this isn't going to be a great debate here.
0: And it, But in that, it's like she's modeling the gentle parenting to us. Like you imagine, you see how it works because then you imagine being a kid in that position. Like your parents are willing to acquiesce when they're wrong and everything. And it's like... It really does hold so much value, and and she is such a good model for it, and you'll even like hear that within the interview.
1: Yeah, she was very, very cool, very Uh, lucky to have her.
0: And my favorite part of that conversation, so you do have to listen because it's at the end, we get into Santa Claus and talking about whether or not you should tell your kids the truth about Santa Claus right away.
1: Oh, and there's a funny moment where uh, Dilshat's talking about, uh, we we talk about spanking children a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And she talks about this, uh, this website called no which is about <laughs> parenting. And I couldn't, I know it's juvenile, but I couldn't help but laughing. And then she talks about having a no spank competition. And it's like <laughs> Alex and I had one of those, but it was like different meaning behind it. Anyway, I'm laughing like a juvenile child throughout this. It, it felt like when I'm in high school and the teacher tells me not to laugh again, I had that inner you sweat going it. on. Uh, But I do have to go quickly. Lucy, you probably heard her yelling in the background. Get up in there, yes. I'll be back.
0: Did Lucy do a poo-poo?
1: She did. She did a poo-poo. But uh, yeah, I'm back. What what did I miss?
0: Nothing, babe. We are just uh, holding off for you.
1: What are we going to do? Drink the eggnog? We
0: are going to drink the eggnog. So our Seedlip drink tonight is Spice 94 and eggnog. Seedlip does have a recipe for alternative eggnog, which is dairy-free, but... We were feeling just like super Christmassy and wanted to dive right in to the nog. So, Let's see. cheers, babe. It
1: looks very nice with the cinnamon stick. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. You can't oh, go yeah. wrong with the eggnog. It really puts me in a... Nothing's better than an eggnog Alcoholic substitute drink
0: Yeah, see the Spice 94 is good Because it's that kind of like woodsy And you know spicy taste It goes perfect with it With the cinnamon You got to add the dash of cinnamon to the top
1: Now you were supposed to try Two different types of eggnog And we were going to have an eggnog competition Mm -hmm. But you forgot to do that You mixed it with the same eggnog So let's right now We're going to switch gears And we have President's Choice Eggnog And Nielsen Eggnog And let's see which one you think is better
0: Alright, I just tried the prez choice nog. It's it's amazing. It's it's really good.
1: Okay. Let me sip.
0: So different.
1: Okay. So I'm gonna close my eyes because that's how I wanted to oh do my it. God. Which one did you like better?
0: I don't hold on.
1: Okay, hand me one. Okay. All hand right, I have one. my answer. Hand me one. Hand me the other one.
0: <laughs> Watching Shane try to drink these. is hilarious.
1: Oh my okay that's easy for me
0: which one do you say
1: president's choice is better.
0: same same okay so this is shane and i what inspired this was we were up north at the cottage and we had this amazing random eggnog it was called panache and it's like a small town grocery store brand but it was some of the best eggnog we have ever panache had. is
1: the best i'll say it if right you can now get your
0: hands on panache do it so we tried the president's choice which is plain looking eggnog from the outside and the nielsen which has like the most beautiful scene on the front and makes you feel like, like christmas just by looking at it but the president's choice is better
1: yeah i'm surprised by that i nielsen was always like my my home nog yeah, but that that swig I took it wasn't that great.
0: No, you know what the it's, it's more, like too
1: it's sugary or something. Too
0: sugary, and, like, and the President's Choice one is like more eggy and thick yeah. or something.
1: Uh, there you have it. Okay. If anybody
0: else is a nog, we got to add to this competition. Let us know.
1: Yeah, but let's begin the episode. I've I've did some research here. I kind of like got inspired by you. How at the end of the episode you actually put a lot of care into answering people's questions, doing some research, so I did a little bit of that. I'm excited. But to start off, I just wanted to thank everyone who's been listening to this podcast, like when all those many months ago in March, which it somehow seems like a long time ago, in some ways seems like just the other Mm -hmm. day, this year could have been so hard for us had we not been distracted by the podcast and put so much work, and had everyone not been listening to it and showing the care and... It really did change our lives, so yeah. I want to thank everyone for doing that because I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I probably would have honestly lost my mind.
0: Yeah, no, Shane always does best when there's a project going on, and for us to be able to work on a project together and have this like a fun goal, and yeah, it does bring up like yeah, we argue over it. It's like the oh, only we source smash of plates like it's
1: a <laughs> Greek <do>. household. <laughs>
0: But it's the only source of stress really that we have. But it's that fun kind of stress where it's like you set a goal and then you try to reach that goal and it's like a game. And it's every day we have had this we have this game going on and it's a blast.
1: I, I was going to have a comedy show that I was going to pitch and that was going to be my big project and totally went away. I also had a play that I was about to perform in all when COVID started to happen. So I was getting into like busy work mode yeah. and it just all got taken away and then all my efforts got put into the podcast and, you know, I'm kind of looking back glad it did. So I just wanted to say that and that I totally am feeling for everyone who didn't have a great year because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people out there listening didn't necessarily have the best year. And this time is probably particularly hard for them because Christmas, a lot of times people are depressed. In fact, yeah, hard. we bumped into our neighbor who is a very oh sweet gosh. woman and I was getting out of the car. We were picking up a Christmas gift from the LCBO and I'm getting out of the car and I hear the woman say to Alex, (laughs) I lost my job. Alex is laughing. We'll get to why. But I'm kind of acting like I can't hear it because when I come up, I want to like react properly.
0: Yeah. So I'll I'll just say from that. So I get out of the car. I say, hey, neighbor. She goes, oh, hey. And I say, how are you? She goes, oh, not so good, actually. Which is always the
1: worst thing to hear because you're supposed to just hear the perfunctory, no matter what. And it's good. It's
0: it's like minus ten out. It's a nighttime. We're holding a baby.
1: (laughs) I'm like, oh, what what happened? And she goes, I lost my job. And I go, oh my goodness. Right around the holidays, this is terrible. I feel so horrible. I go, are are you going to still be able to keep the place? She goes, no. I actually, I have to leave my place now. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like. My my heart goes out to you and I'm really emoting. And then out of nowhere, Alex goes, I lost my dog last Christmas, so I can relate. And I'm like, What? Like we we just kinda look at Alex and the woman's like, Oh yeah, thank you. Gets kind of awkward and inside I'm feeling like very confused. I,
0: I continued on with it saying that we really loved our family pet.
1: Yeah, she's <laughs> and going our on pets about pets
0: are like people. Yeah.
1: And the woman's like, oh, okay. The woman leaves, and I couldn't wait. I'm like, Alex, what are you doing? Why are you talking about your fucking dog? She's like, she lost her dog, Shane. I was like, no, she lost her job. Because we know this woman. She does not have a dog. But Alex's hearing is a little effed up. So she heard... I lost my dog. Anyway, kind of a funny situation, but it...
0: I'm so embarrassed. It was I'm,
1: so awkward.
0: I'm so embarrassed now. Like, honestly, like what What do I do? Because do we write her a card where we explain the situation? It's like a funny thing, and then don't we give her a little bit of booze? I don't think it's time for boost? jokes.
1: Like, uh, but luckily, I don't think we'll be seeing her much anymore, so you won't have well, to... Well, she's like, not
0: walking that dog every day, that's for sure. Well,
1: and she's going to be evicted. She's leaving the scene.
0: Right. I'm. I'm so humiliated, and I really do want to make it up to her in some
1: small way just tell her you didn't understand and well, I'm, I'm hoping in some way that I heard it wrong and maybe she does have a secret dog that we just didn't know about but based off the way she reacted the way I did I'm thinking she actually did lose her job and why would a dog dying make you be evicted from a place well, no
0: because I thought that it's that maybe the place reminded her of the dog and she was too lonely there without the dog <laughs> and wanted to go think. and move with a family member
1: Oh, okay. I wouldn't I'm, be
0: I wouldn't be able to live alone. If my dog died, I'd have to move in with somebody.
1: Maybe that's it. But I guess the point is this really reminded me that Christmas time is a tough time for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have a lot of sponsors on this podcast that we're very happy to have. And I want to let everyone know that we are donating a fair amount to charity. In fact, you hear the dove reads at the beginning of every episode. All the money that we procure from those reads, we're giving to charity charities uh but speaking of christmas alex you did such a great job with this house like this house was like a dump and then all of a sudden (laughs) alex gets the christmas spirit and now it looks like mrs claus and santa both live here and it it had me thinking how shit would christmas be if it wasn't for women like women really do (laughs) make a christmas good It would be.
0: Is this sexist? I'm not even sure. It I'm just probably so, is. I'm so flattered by your appreciation of my uh, Christmas spirit. That and, and this is I'm a generalization
1: because I'm sure there's some women listening. Like, geez, I don't really pull my weight around the Christmas. My husband does it all. I've never seen that though. In, in my friends, my mom, my, mm-hmm. like my dad didn't do anything. My mom did everything. Well, what
0: about Clark Griswold?
1: Yeah, that's a movie though. He was he was enamored with Christmas, but. I was just thinking if I was single right now, I would not have a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you get hit by a bus. I right. know I always bring up that right. scenario. But a uh, guy's got to have a fantasy. <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> i kidding. I love you. But you die... I'm probably not even getting a tree I would, or I would be, it would be such a chore, but you're like follow the lying and putting up everything and, you know, Christmas lights and trees and like a real tree. Like when I was growing up, we had a plastic tree that we put out every year. I it thought that a was difference. a lot of work. Yeah. It
0: makes a difference. And you know what? The plastic ones are just as much work. Like Shane, you and I started our relationship with a plastic tree. It was a great quality one and it took a lot of time to set up. It looked real. It was beautiful. But that thing took me hours to put up. Like, I would much rather go to some Christmassy farm or Christmassy parking lot, get a real tree, cover me up in sap and get that thing up, makes the house smell nice, looks fun. And like, yeah, it's just as much work, I think, as plastic one. Yeah. But no, I thank you so much for recognizing that because I really have been making an effort to make things, you know. Happy and cozy and Christmas spirit
1: So, shout outs to Women Everywhere and the odd man who is <laughs> making this house Christmassy because I've never really met that well, person. Wait.
0: growing up, was your house super Christmassy because your yeah, mom is oh, one of the most Christmassy people I've ever met? My mom is
1: the most Christmassy person. And like you said, even though we didn't have a real tree that was covered in sap, my mom still put a lot of effort into that tree because it's just as much work in a lot of cases. And we, you know, come to our house like, You'll, Everything is Christmas. You'll want to blow your brains out. There <laughs> is a million gizmos and battery-powered well, things. Every and,
0: time you turn a corner, you're setting off a new Santa Claus, you know, singing Jingle Bells, Jingle yeah, Bells. Yeah, everything's or like
1: battery-operated. Elvis, reindeer. It's almost like a Halloween and Christmas because it's, it's like jump scares <laughs> everywhere. Like, Feliz Navidad when you go to the washroom <laughs> and then like... <laughs> everything's everywhere but
0: everybody knows that I think everybody has a family member like that where it's like you go over and they've got all those knickknacks and like your mom's house reminds me of a house that at some point would have had a fuzzy toilet seat which is like the weirdest thing but I I know people that have had those before the fuzzy toilet seat covers hmm. does you has your mom ever had one of those no not like the part that you sit on but like the lid She's never had oh, a fuzzy yes,
1: covering? Oh, yes, she has. 100% she has. Yes.
0: Yes. And this is a thing. Like, this is an archetypal person that has all the knickknacks, loves the Christmas thing, has the remote control, you know, devices, and also has the fuzzy toilet I didn't cover. know
1: that was a thing, but you really nailed it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, another thing, glitter. Let's get rid of glitter people. Alex came in the house. Like, we have a no glitter rule. Alex, for some reason, loves glitter. There's no, I don't some...
0: love it. I like the sparkle. I hate the glitter itself, and I want—it's not good for anything. It's terrible it's for the
1: environment. You came in the house today with it all over your face.
0: It was I... all under my nose. It was
1: all under your nose. It looked like you were snorting it. Elf cocaine. Where, where'd you get that from?
0: Well, I went to my parents' house because I was trying to find labels so that I could start doing presents and putting them under the tree and labeling them. But they were at the very bottom. Of my parents like Christmas thing Mm -hmm. So I'm like digging around Scrounging around trying to get the labels Not really knowing what I was hitting in my way But I guess I was just like shoving glitter Into my face the whole time
1: And I tell Alex there's so many things in our house That I'm like we're throwing this piece of shit out And she's
0: like no no let's keep it Have I not replaced some of the key Christmas things in our house with Glitterless or less Glittery items
1: Well glitter it it never leaves your house uh, I've done some research here. Mm-hmm. Most glitter products are made from plastic, which contribute to the growing problem of microplastics in the environment. Mm-hmm. Microplastics are consumed by plankton, fish, and birds and have a detrimental impact on the environment. I get
0: it. I get it. And I,
1: sure. Some research has also found that PET, the plastic <laughs> most glitter is made from, can break down and release chemicals that can disrupt human and animal hormones. Well,
0: that's awful. That's awful. No. It's As not- a result, some
1: <laughs> scientists and campaigners are calling for a total ban on glitter. In fact, UK festivals and some companies have already committed to banning glitter.
0: Look, I say ban the glitter. I'm not on board with glitter. In
1: fact, a dead whale recently washed up on a beach in Indonesia with <laughs> a thousand pieces of plastic in his stomach, including two flip flops. <laughs> This is a real story. It's why it's in the glitter thing. It doesn't really mention glitter there, but they even there's even a company called Lush, which uh, started a glitter substitute product. Um, yeah,
0: Lush is huge. Everybody knows Lush. Sorry,
1: mica was a potential glitter alternative, which is naturally occurring mineral that shimmers. But it was even soon found out that the majority of mica came from illegal Indian mines that were using child labor. As a result. <laughs> That were sorry that we're using child labor.
0: There's no winning.
1: As a result, Lush had to come up with synthetic mica, which the company claims is not harmful to the environment. So even the synthetic stuff, they can't even prove that it's not. Well, bad.
0: and here's the thing: in the creation of the synthetic stuff, I mean, I'm you're opening factories and whatever, and you're contributing to greenhouse gases. There's no winning, but I do think that there should be a ban on glitter. However. You know, I, I haven't bought a new glittery product in years, but let's just use up the ones that we have and then, you know, be gone with mm-hmm. glitter for all time.
1: Uh, my next topic is what up with gingerbread cookies and gingerbread houses that you decorate with your kids? You can't eat them. They're terrible. They taste like shit. Yeah.
0: They taste like garbage. Like I actually almost chipped a tooth. So Lucy made these like awesome gingerbread men with Nona. And there was a cat, so we did the cat up to look like our cat. There was a dog, but we don't have a dog, and neither does our neighbor. So I took a bite of it, and I i literally almost chipped my tooth. Like, it, it hurt. It yeah. hurt so bad.
1: One, love the neighbor callback. It's very funny. Two, like, I understand gingerbreads need to make them hard uh, eventually because they need to stick around. Because if you're using the gingerbread house just dec- as a decoration – then fine. Yeah. Make it inedible after day one or day two. (laughs) But if you just put it together and you're the gingerbread people say, okay, let's make it edible for maybe the first 24 hours in case dad wants to bite
0: you know what I mean it's there
1: and you're putting all these delicious items on it but
0: is that is that why they make them terrible so that you don't ruin the stuff that you just made like I don't here's the thing I also don't get it like why make an edible house that you can't eat and that you just leave to sit out for a month so it dries up and hardens and gets disgusting like why not just make a house out of like fun things that you don't eat so it doesn't make you hungry and you're not tempted
1: to bite it. I think because kids love them, but then after like the second year, kids hate them because they realize it doesn't taste good. Most of the candy that goes on it is too hard. Yeah, There's chocolate chip kisses. (laughs) (laughs) We have a glass table and Alex (laughs) spends an hour to put the glass down so it doesn't make any noise, but it's more distracting than if you actually just... (laughs) Put the glass down. Like, listen. Just do that.
0: All right, all right.
1: It's like when someone's Look. in a squeaky chair, but they're, like, getting out of it <laughs> yeah. so slow that the noise just takes an hour. Okay, I
0: have a copy of Old Man in the Sea. Perfect. Coaster. That's your
1: coaster. What else do I have? Hold on.
0: What is, what is your favorite Christmas treat?
1: Christmas treat eggnog.
0: Eggnog. Eggnog is amazing.
1: Shortbread cookies are awesome. My mom used to make those. I was going to have a thing where we... We sang, I'm just trying, trying to make this episode very Christmassy, and I was going to try to see if it would be fun if we both tried to sing earnestly, like the first line of Jingle Bells. You and I are always trying to figure out who is a better singing voice. Oh,
0: can we do a singing competition?
1: Yeah, just, uh, that's what I'm doing right okay. now. Alex. So the first line of Jingle Bells, just sing earnestly, unironically, let's hear it.
0: Okay. You, can you go first? Because I'm just, yeah. I want to laugh, so.
1: Don't laugh. Then. I'm not. But I'm trying not to. Neither of us can laugh. I'm trying not to. Okay. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock, rock. I don't know why it's the rock version. Why? I Okay, not wait. I'll sing the normal. Sorry, and why are you whispering? That's how you sing good. <laughs> That's how you sing good. If you want to sing good, you can't like go normal tone. Okay, wait. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle rock sounds better for some Okay, wait. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. That's Everything's wrong. Can we just do jingle ball wrong? No, no,
0: no. I'll start. I'll start. Okay, right. Let me take a sip of my uh, eggnog for some courage. Alcohol-free eggnog. Okay. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. <laughs> oh, my Sorry. It is too right. I don't want a horse open sleigh.
1: No, really try that. Really I try.
0: did. I was laughing. Okay, no, really
1: on. try. Okay, I won't laugh. I swear.
0: Jingle, bell. I'm sorry, this is so hard. Just, can you just go in that room for a second and I'll do it? Yep. Don't peek. I won't, I won't, make a noise. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun. <laughs> it is to ride on a one horse open sleigh. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> what do you rate that out of 10?
1: That wasn't good, but I'm not saying I'm any better. Let's right, see let's if I can hear. beat it. Jingle bells, jingle bells.
2: Stop! Sorry.
1: Come on, you was fucking terrible. Oh, I was sorry. being nice just there. I'm
2: sorry, it's the whispering. Okay,
1: I'll try to have a tone then. Let's say we have to have a tone, because okay, hush I tones are Okay, don't do that. Okay. Okay, just don't laugh. I won't laugh. And I won't whisper. Jingle bells. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Wait. Jingle bells. <laughs> Sorry, one more time, one more time, one more time. Okay. Jingle bells, jingle bells Can I just <laughs> do jingle bell rock? Do jingle bell rock Jingle bell, jingle bells, jingle bell rock <laughs> Sorry, You sorry, put sorry. so one, much flourish
0: You're like Christina Aguilera 2006
1: okay, okay, just a Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock, rock. <laughs> Rocking around the Christmas tree Ringle and wrangle. I don't know the words. too <laughs> Jingle bell, Jingle bell, <laughs> Jingle bell rock rocking around the Christmas top. Hey-oh and jingle. How, how's that?
0: That was okay.
1: Okay. Okay, that was kind of fun. Um, but I think
0: I think jingle bell rock, you can cut this part, but <clears throat> I just want to see if I can do it better. Jingle bell, Jingle bell, Jingle bell rock. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, dancer and prancer in frosty air, in the frosty air.
1: that was much better. That was much better. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Jingle Bells lends itself to, (laughs) unless you had the rock part, two people with terrible voices. No. Okay. I learned that I have topographical disorientation.
0: What the hell is that?
1: That is a condition where you never know where you are. Even though you have normal intelligence.
0: Do you, though?
1: Have normal intelligence? Yes. Yes? You don't think I have normal intelligence? No, I do.
0: I do. I actually think you have above normal intelligence in a lot of ways.
1: I'll take it. But I topographical disorientation, I learned this because we had one guest who had uh, a condition. It's actually, we're going to have Catherine Nikolai on, who mm-hmm. has the podcast, Nothing Much Happens. It's like 30 million downloads, like one of the best podcasts ever for people with sleeping problems, but she has a condition where she can't visualize anything. Right. Which is very interesting for a person who writes stories for a living that they can't visualize anything in their mind. Point is, somehow I came across people with my condition because I can leave my house and the second I take two left turns... I need to turn on GPS because I no longer know where I am. And with somebody who's just meeting me for the first time, they can think I am extremely slow or lacking intelligence because I don't know where I am in my own city or in my own uh, neighborhood.
0: Okay, case in point, our second date, I chose the spot. It was downtown Hamilton on a main street. And I was like, okay, Shane, let's go to the place that's three doors down from where we had our first date. On John Street, it's called Two Black Sheep. Let's meet there at whatever six. So I'm there at six o'clock. Shane calls me at six twenty in a panic, and you're on Barton Street, which is like a kilometer down the yeah, road. I was crying. I don't
1: know where the fucking.
0: <laughs> but he's like, I am so far away. Like he was like a twenty minute walk away from a place that we essentially had our very first date at, like the week prior. And that was pretty ridiculous. I thought that you were making up an excuse and that you were, you know, just like screwing around or, you know, weren't taking the date seriously.
1: So do you believe me that I have topographical disorientation disorder?
0: Yes, yes.
1: I'm so glad because I thought you were going to make fun of me for being like, you know, I always think I have a condition and you're like, no, you don't.
0: Well, no, I think you have something. I just think that we have to whittle it down and find out what that something is because there's a lot of options. We just have to like... Figure it out.
1: Yeah, I think I actually have the same thing going on that Chris Rock has because Chris Rock thought he had a form of autism and it turned out to be something else that it makes him distant in some ways. I was right. listening to him on Howard Stern, but anyway, this isn't a uh, this is a Christmas episode. <laughs> uh, when did you find out Santa wasn't real?
0: Who? I don't remember. I just I remember it being like kind of a natural realization where it's like. You know, there were maybe a couple of years before I really found out. How old were you? I have no idea. Like, I'd honestly have to call and ask my parents.
1: Closer to 10 or 5?
0: Can I call them really quick and ask them? Sure. Hello? Hey, Mom. Uh, are you and Dad together right now?
3: Uh, I'm upstairs in bed. I'm so tired. And Dad's downstairs.
0: Do you know how old I was when I found out Santa Claus was not real?
3: Um, It was interesting. Because when you guys kind of talked about it, you know, you kind of questioned it
1: for a second. I said, well, you know, when you stop believing in Santa Claus, you don't get stockings anymore. (laughs) Wow. So you probably knew maybe a couple of years before he actually said anything. You probably had
3: an inkling. I don't know. So what age? Seven or eight. Seven or eight. Six or seven.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. No, just wondering, but uh, I got to go. Love you. Okay. Bye. By seven or eight. Yeah, I think. But not. but but probably knew around six.
1: Yeah. So I was four or five when I knew because I need to know everything. I'm very like I need information. And mm-hmm. I can't. If someone's like, eh, I got this. I'm like, just tell me. You're like that to some extent too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you and I can't keep anything from no. each other, especially no. if it's a good thing.
0: We get so excited. We
1: have to just tell each other immediately. I'm actually shocked we haven't told each other what we got each other for Christmas. <laughs> Even though pretty much, yeah.
0: Here's the thing because I've actually almost told you so many times just because I was so happy how certain things worked out or or just because I'm like pumped, you know?
1: Just to get to the point here. My mom was when she would leave the house for work because I was kind of like a latchkey kid or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I guess if I'm four, I must have had a babysitter. I hope so. But I would go snooping. I was like, let's see if this Santa's really real. Because if he's not, I guarantee you, my mom's got the presents stashed somewhere in the house. And we didn't have a huge house so there's only so many places it could be. So I would just go under her bed and I see, oh, there's some stuff there. Then I open her closet, jackpot. All the gifts were in her closet. Mm. So that kind of made me question it maybe when i was four and i was like maybe santa's just storing it there and then he comes and of wraps course. it and then when i was five it was like no no that can't be because then i really started not believing in Well, do anymore. you think
0: a part of it was because you had an older sibling who was already kind of at that mindset like i was the tiff oldest sibling. still
1: believes in santa you know my sister <laughs> no it, tiff was like i was more advanced in that way yeah Like my sister's very childlike. My sister's 40 right now, but she is still Mm -hmm. childlike in a very whimsical, annoying way.
0: Yeah, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's whimsical. We'll Uh, leave it there. But here's, so my mom basically forced me to at least fake believe in Santa Claus for a while. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's, I like tying it into the magic of Christmas and not explicitly saying it's real or it's not real. Just, well, hey, if you say you believe in it, you'll get a stocking and we can have fun with it. You know what I mean? Did
1: Dilshad, did she say it's good or bad? Just don't tell me what she said, but just, is it good or bad to believe in Santa?
0: She gave her opinion on it and then she gave somebody else's opinion on it.
1: Okay. I guess we'll all have to (laughs) listen to it. Okay. Before we go to the interview, did you want to do a shot of real alcohol?
0: Fuck yes. Heck.
1: Don't swear.
0: I'm not, I didn't mean to. Sit, ask me do you it. want to do a
1: shot of real algo?
0: Heck yes! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Shane, thank you.
1: Okay, so this is actually moonshine.
0: Moonshine in Astrobia. And it is delicious. Whew.
1: Oh yeah, that's pretty smooth actually.
0: It is so smooth.
1: But let's get to our... But before, <laughs> wait, we're going to get to our interview with Jennifer Anderson. But before that, Alex, tell us who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as hard.
1: It's true, especially around the holidays. We got to save our money and our poop messes where we can.
0: <laughs> so we use Hello Bello, who is co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Hello Bello's is built on the principle that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices.
1: They work the best. They look the best they're the best
0: they look the best and you need to check out their winter prints they look adorable and you can get them as a part of your diaper bundle because this service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs around the year each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers four packs of plant-based wipes and even one full-size product freebie with your first order plus you can get 15 percent off of any add-ons like the bubble bath the wipes the diaper rash cream Whatever. It's all so good. Plus, I just want more full size products that keep coming out with new things. Like, they just came out with a watermelon detangler, and loose hair gets so tangly. So, it's such a good thing to add to our monthly bundle. So, to get Hello Bello's super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to HelloBello.ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree30 for 30% off of your first diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blow out saved.
1: That's HelloBello.ca promo code ThisFamilyTree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order.
0: Don't forget that's HelloBello.ca promo code ThisFamilyTree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only and you gotta use it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. But we are also supported by...
0: Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit.
1: And it's a very Christmassy drink. I don't know why, but it reminds me of the holidays.
0: Oh, it makes you warm inside, and I think that's why.
1: Could be the eggnog mix we have tonight, too. (laughs) Maybe that's why.
0: It is so good. But Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories and solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. As a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are like water, sugary sodas, or those, you know those crappy mocktails that they make you at restaurants? They're not fun, and you don't feel like you're a part of the social event. So Seedlip solves that problem and keeps that level of like sophistication going.
1: And I don't know if the secret is out on Seedlip, so I'm thinking it might be a great gift for someone whom this product might not be top of mind for, on.
0: Pregnant for. moms
1: people who don't drink anymore.
0: Yeah, no, it's perfect. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every kind of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic. But if you want to make a more complex cocktail, you can check out the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram, which is at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to SeedLipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. Again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and .ca and ThisFamilyTree10. This is available in Canada and in the U.S.
1: All right. Very inclusive. But let's get to our interview with Jennifer Anderson.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We are so sorry. That was the
1: worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. (laughs) The worst thing you've
0: done in your whole life. You're doing good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's the funniest thing is every time we have big guests, we're at the cottage and something goes wrong. Like we had Alyssa Milano on and we're fumbling around like this all the same. So
4: well, just remember I am like just a normal person. I'm a mom. I'm like,
0: seriously, I'm fine. I'm not phased at all. I will not think poorly of you. No, Jennifer, you're kind of like the Alyssa Milano of kids nutrition, actually. So don't diminish (laughs) yourself. It's really okay. I just, I just want you to know, like, I realize
4: other people think of me like that, but like, I look at my husband and I'm like, I'm just a mom living in maryland like that's it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well a mom living in maryland who is a kids nutrition expert and does have what a million yeah followers over a million followers this is wild when i started following you you did not have a million followers but you had a hell of a lot and i'm so happy that you have kind of you know, totally shot up because you do deserve it. And I have gotten so much of my nutritional advice and guidance from you. We're on our second kid now. Our first is two and a half. I've been following you for a very long time and you have been so helpful. So first of all, thank you you're, for that.
4: Yeah, you're welcome. And,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> and even though we've been through it all once before, of course, with our toddler, we are, you know, finding ourselves in new eating issues. And we do have a four month old baby again. Congratulations,
4: by the way. And it feels
0: like, thank you. But it feels like even though we've gone through all of this, so much of it is still new, or I'm second guessing mm-hmm. myself a little bit. So, between Shane and I, and between our listeners, we've got a bunch of questions for you that we are hoping we can get your help with today. So, first of all, four month old baby purees or baby led weaning? I did baby led weaning with my first and I loved it, but is that the way that things are going now? If you loved baby-led weaning, go for it.
4: The research suggests that exposing your child to a lot of different textures and flavors as they are moving to complementary feeding between six, about six months, ish, and one year, that that helps them mostly branch out a little bit more than if they hadn't been exposed to a lot of different textures and flavors. That does not mean that if you choose to puree feed that you will have a picky child. There's a lot of people out there claiming that mm-hmm. if you do baby-led weaning, it will prevent, magically prevent picky eating. <laughs> I, I feel that that is a disingenuous thing that people say. Uh, you'll hear yes. that from dietitians. What they're referring to is research that shows that children who do baby-led weaning have less selectivity as they get older than kids who didn't weren't exposed to a lot of flavors and textures. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that none of the baby-led weaning babies weren't were picky, and that's the thing. So I always yeah. like to remind parents, even if they choose to do baby-led weaning, which is great. I didn't do it for any of my kids, so it was much too high maintenance for me personally. I I was way too overwhelmed to try to manage these feeding rules, like you're never allowed to feed your baby with a spoon. I, Like, (laughs) really, that was way too much for me. So I just did whatever I wanted, which was purees, also giving them table foods, also throwing stuff in a baby food grinder and just grinding it up. So I did what I like to call it easy weaning, which was the bare minimum to Mm -hmm. get them eating table food as fast as possible.
0: Sorry. No, I I just want to say that I I appreciate you saying that baby led weaning does not automatically mean that you're not going to have a picky Mm -hmm. eater because I was on a high Horse I was on such a freaking high horse And I was like my kid eats anything I gave her herring on rye bread Like a very Russian thing once at Christmas And she was like gobbling it up She was loving it And then what like six months down the road When she was one and a half She just decided nope 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 All these things I used to eat all the time All these things I used to love Not gonna go near them And now at two and a half We're still having Mm -hmm. those problems Even though she had such an introduction of things And we'll get we'll get to toddler foods later, but I'm so happy that you kind of dispelled that myth because parents should do whatever is easiest. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my second kid because I am, you know, time is at such a premium. And when when you do baby led weaning a lot of your day, you're sitting there while the kid plays in their food and that takes up a lot of time. I just got back from our four-month doctor appointment, and my doctor said to start giving her tastes, like a tiny little taste of things now, but not actual foods, like one taste a day. And then at six months, start the food process, which I just thought sounded early. So Hmm. I was interested on your take.
4: So that is a new recommendation. I've never heard that recommendation before. Um, It could be that you know some new weaning evidence came out. It could be that he made that up. I don't know. (laughs) So... Generally, I look for the signs of readiness. They're interested. They have lost most of that gag reflex, uh, their little reflex. that would stick, their tongue sticks out. They can sit up, you know, mostly without assistance, but, or, you know, very little support. And, you know, they're showing all those other signs of readiness. I'd have to like, go look up the list of all the signs. But Mm. I, I made my kids wait until six months. I thought, Nursing them is so much easier compared to dealing with food. Why would I ever start early? This is the only time in your life that is easy for me.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I, know. Well, I wish I could breastfeed solely for the first two years. Of course, that is course, not what we can do, but that would make so life easy. so easy.
4: <laughs> if, if breastfeeding was easy for you. <laughs> exactly.
0: So it is your recommendation that you'd wait and start all of that process at the six months?
4: Yeah. I mean, I would look for all the signs of readiness, but it's Mm -hmm. fine to wait till six months. I mean, for me, again, I really needed what was going to be the easiest and that was
0: waiting. Yep. And when it comes to allergens and introducing allergens like eggs, nuts, Mm -hmm. fish, when do you recommend that parents begin to do that?
4: Right away. Start feeding them high nutrient foods and including the allergenic foods as soon as possible. So the current advice is early and often. For a while, people were thought that maybe if we introduce babies to allergens early, it will increase allergies. But what we found is the opposite. So the current advice is early and often. Now, if you have a history of a major life-threatening allergy, please talk to your allergist first. And if you think that there's something hereditary or, or something along those lines, then I would definitely talk to the doctor allergist before you introduce those foods. Otherwise, definitely start those peanuts, that shellfish, dairy, the wheat, all that stuff early. Again, if you do have a history, then you want to check with your doctor. If you have celiac disease, you usually don't want to
0: introduce your kids to wheat, but medical mm-hmm. conditions aside. And if you're like me for any listeners and you are hesitant, when I gave Lucy peanuts, I did it outside of the hospital in oh. my car and we just kind of drove laps. Yeah. No peanut allergy yeah. in my family. So it wasn't overreaction, but it made me feel so much more sure. comfortable. So crazy or not, I didn't mind. Yeah. It. You know, if, if what it takes
4: for you to introduce your kid to allergens is sitting outside the hospital.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. If that works for you, really go for it. Time of day. <laughs> now, when it comes to something like, you know, those like baby mum mums. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, those and like rice puffs, I know that there is controversy, I guess, sometimes with rice over, you know, the arsenic in it, mm-hmm. whatever. But just low nutritive snacks like that, that are convenient, where do you stand on those? Yeah. So, here's where I stand on those. As a practical mom, I'm going to say,
4: I, I swore I would never give my child a Cheerio, you know, all the, the, like wood waste, like all this stuff. Of course, that was before I had kids. And then I had kids. And then I realized that if I gave my young child sitting in the chair, you know, 10 Cheerios, it would take him 10 minutes to figure out how to pick them up. And it would keep him busy long enough for me to like make something else in the kitchen while I was mm. keeping an eye on him. And uh, that's how I learned the magic of Cheerios, right? So on the one hand, they can keep kids busy and get them involved. On the other hand, we have to remember they are not providing very much nutrition at all. And infants and toddlers have really tiny stomachs. They don't have a lot of room to eat things that aren't really going to give them the nutrition that they need. So we want to keep that to a minimum and just reserve it for when we need them to have a little activity to keep them busy for a few minutes, maybe while we finish the rest of the meal or something else. So we really don't want to be like using food to keep the kids busy or just kind of trying to fill them up on stuff that's not going to give them the nutrition that Mm -hmm. they need.
0: And are there any habits that you find new parents or old parents that have a new baby, bad habits that they get into when they first begin the process of feeding and and weaning? I think one of the challenging points that
4: I see is we – feed kids liquid on demand, right? We're breastfeeding or formula feeding the baby or feeding them on demand. And that's the recommendation. But then as they transition to solid foods, we move them on to an eating routine or schedule or whatever you want to call it. Right. Because we want to see kids eating regularly, but not grazing all day long. And also older, older infants and toddlers, their circadian rhythm can start to predict food and Mm -hmm. for it and get hungry on a schedule and those sorts of things. So I see that problem where parents, instead of serving solids on a schedule, they just serve solids whenever they want or whenever the kid wants. And what Mm -hmm. that does is it starts to set up a grazing pattern so that you have a toddler who expects to eat three bites every hour or so. And next thing you know, they're never eating a good meal because they're never really hungry. But then they're also not necessarily eating enough because they're never, they don't really know how to fill up and they don't really know when they're hungry and when they're full. And we just set up a lot of problems for ourselves.
0: Yes. I think Shane ran up to take care of the kids, but I think we fucked up. I think that we are in a kind of a grazing pattern and like I've tried so hard not to do this, but I have used food to keep her quiet sure. to keep her occupied whatever and we're we're in this now and how, how do you get out of that do you just have to start laying down the law and having really yeah, strict i mean yeah it- <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you have to
4: be like you kind of have to be the the no-nonsense mom on one side and the i totally understand and i'm really empathetic and i care about you and i nurture you mom on the other hand yes and I often find that in couples, like one parent is better at one side than the other. And when you have two parents working together and one is like the, no, like we just had dinner. We're not going to mm-hmm. do a snack because she chose not to eat a ton of dinner. That's fine. It's it's okay. It's, we need to have another meal or snack coming right around the corner. I love to say that when you have a schedule or routine You don't have as much worry if they don't eat much at one meal because you know, two, three hours later for a toddler, you know, there's another meal or snack coming right around the corner. That means if they don't eat much, you can say, okay, I'm not going to pressure you to eat. I can sit back and relax because I know that, yeah, you might get a little fussy and I will have to deal with that. And that's going to be a real annoyance. But also I'm a big girl. I'm your mom. I can handle it
0: and we can make it through. Okay, so let's get on to toddler eating and whatnot because I I find this so much more stressful than baby eating, because it's like Mm -hmm. what baby might throw their food on the ground, big deal, you can get over it. As they get older and they get more independent, that's when I'm finding the majority of the problems. And you mentioned how, you know, if they're not gonna eat a lot at dinner, that's okay because they have another snack coming. I think we're serving dinner too late. Is there, is there a certain amount of time before bedtime that we should be serving dinner?
4: I don't think there's any time requirement. I, I just encourage families to st- step back, look at the connection points that you want to have. Like if you want to have dinner together as a family, what's the time that makes sense? And mm-hmm. you just kind of fit the kid into that. And maybe you have to give them an earlier snack or maybe you have to move things around a little bit. But for me... Like we had a 6.30 dinner, which was pretty late for a really long time, because that was the only time that all of us could finally get together. And that was life. But that also meant I had to serve two afternoon snacks to get my kids to dinner without being complete basket cases. So you have to kind of look at what works for your family. Uh, You don't have to have a bedtime snack. Some families do. Most, Most kids actually don't need a bedtime snack. I usually said, you know, your kid needs a snack if they're waking up in the middle of the night routinely. Mm-hmm. That is a sign that they need a bedtime
0: snack. Sorry, like in our situation, right? If we're eating, so we typically eat at 6, okay, 5.30 or 6. And then if we eat at 6, Lucy doesn't eat much for dinner because of whatever reason, mm-hmm. then we're putting her to bed at 7. Mm-hmm. Like, should I be worried about her not having had enough?
4: No, I wouldn't because – most toddlers eat the bulk of their calories in the earlier day. Mm-hmm. I would say, I'm just gonna. This is not based on any research, but I'm just gonna <laughs> guess that 90% of toddlers do not do well at dinner time. It's extremely common. It is extremely common for toddlers to be fussy, grumpy, not eat well, more picky, uh, not eat a lot. They're tired, and it takes a lot of energy to eat. And we don't think about that mm-hmm. as parents, but it takes a lot of energy for them to coordinate their body, to sit, to sit up and then coordinate their breathing, swallowing, chewing, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't think about that, but it's a lot of work for them. And after they've been playing all day and they've been doing their thing, they don't have energy for that and they don't have patience and they just really need to go to bed.
0: <laughs> so we're not screwing up ourselves and we're not messing up our kid. Right. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
4: You're doing That's great. so good to know. And then, you know, like serve a big breakfast in the morning. And, yeah. and the other thing is, I think a lot of us have this visceral reaction to the idea of a child, quote, going to bed hungry, because for so mm. many years, parents use that as a punishment. Yes. I'm going to send you to bed hungry. I'm going to withhold food because you've made me angry or something. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about here is not that in any way, shape or form. The recommendations now are based on really helping kids get in touch with their own body. You have a choice. You have a choice whether you're going to eat or not. And that is great for a toddler because they Mm -hmm. want being in charge of their own body. And you say, you you choose, are you still hungry? Does your tummy still want food? And, you know, sometimes they're going to get it wrong. Sometimes they're going to think, oh, I'm full and I don't want to eat that. And then... They're going to go to bed and then they're going to wake up in the middle of the night and
2: be like, mm-hmm.
4: oh, I want some food. I'm hungry. So, you know, toddlers are still learning, but I think we owe them the experience of being in charge of their body and being able to listen when they're hungry or full. And, you know, if we have to give them a piece of cheese in the middle of the night to get them to go back to sleep, it's no big deal. That is not an incentive. That's just caring for them and helping them through their experience learning, Yeah, go back to
0: sleep, and then they're fine. And, you know, you brought up with the idea of withholding food as a punishment and parents, because I, I think it was for sure the norm at one point to say, no, you, you get to go to bed hungry. You don't eat that broccoli on your plate, you're going to go to bed hungry. How can I know this gets more into the psychology of it, but can that be damaging for kids and how so? Extremely
4: damaging. I never, ever, ever recommend withholding food for any reason at all, mm-hmm. period. Um, unless your kid is like throwing up. <laughs> There's always an exception, you know, if your kid is going to have surgery, you may have to have whole food. <laughs> but you know, th- those exceptions aside, when you're caring for your child, you feeding your child is a very deep point of connection. They are a hundred percent dependent on you for their needs, for their survival, for everything. Mm-hmm. And When you feed them consistently and routinely, and you always make sure there's something on their plate that is familiar to them and and they can fill Mm -hmm. up on, you are building trust between you and your child. And out of that place of trust and safety? Your child is going to learn it's okay to try new foods. They are going to learn that food is something that's unconditional, that they always can feed themselves, that they can always listen to their body when they're hungry or full. These are skills that are going to last forever. Mm -hmm. When a parent uses food as a punishment, it totally wrecks the child's relationship with food from here on out. And to undo that is going to be a life work of your child. Mm -hmm. So when you say, um, you know, you did something bad, I'm not going to feed you. That's going to continue to sit with your child for years and years and years. And when they do something bad, they are going to feel like they need to starve themselves or they're going to feel like they don't deserve healthy food or they don't deserve X, Y, Z. Maybe they'll also feel like every time they do something good, they deserve to, they need to binge on food or eat a certain kind of junk food or, or whatever. Really, we need to disconnect those mm-hmm. emotional situations from food, because while food is a great connection point and a way to build social trust and, in you know, have a family feeling and celebrate and things like that. It can also really be detrimental to our kids' health to add on mm-hmm. all these like guilt and deserving and all these sorts of, of negative things.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's funny, you know, you think that, you know, food is just a source of nourishment, but it is so much more than that. And like, I look back at my own childhood and all of my happiest moments had were revolved around food in some way, whether it was a holiday, a birthday, just a big dinner party with family. It always centered around food and around people being together and enjoying mm-hmm. together. And some of my scariest memories, they're not, they're not even scary. Like I had a really great childhood. So this being a scary memory, you know, speaks to that, but where like, I wouldn't want to eat the rest of my grandmother's soup. And she would get so mad at me and she'd make me sit there and eat every last drop. (laughs) And that was so damaging. And then like, I'd try to go when she was looking away and like, try to put it in the garbage or down the toilet or something, but she'd always catch me. And those things, they really – like they really stay with you. And I couldn't eat soup. I couldn't eat chunky soup for like 15 years oh my after that. Right. Because of it. And it, it is just so interesting. And when we think about, you know, picky eaters and do we sit there and make them eat the things off their plate? Do we say you're not getting leaving the table until you're done or you're going to bed hungry? Whatever. How do we deal like knowing how damaging this could be. How do we deal with picky eaters now? Mm-hmm. Because I'll sit there with my toddler and it's just, it, it can get overwhelming sometimes. And I went through a phase where I was making a second meal for her every day. And I'm like, okay, this can't go on. So now I'm giving her something and kind of praying, but h- how do we approach this? Right. Well, I think you're exactly right. Serving them a
4: family meal, And making sure there is the food that's added on that is familiar to them is key. We do not need to cater to children. And I've had some some real pushback because there's this balance of I need to be nurturing to my child and understand where they're coming from. If they're picky, that's not just some sort of personality uh, deficit or like character Mm -hmm. deficit. They're not... They're not trying to hurt you in any way. They're not trying to manipulate you. They're just expressing that they don't like a food. If I'm taking that personally, that's really on me. Like they're too. They're um yeah. <laughs> really. And I mean, I get it. After a long day's work, I make dinner and my kids are like, "Ew, that's disgusting." I mean, I'm angry. I'll, of it, like, I'm angry. Of don't, you don't have to eat it, but do not insult me on top of it, right? But we got to remember, like, they're not trying to insult us personally. It's only us, It you know, it's our mindset that says it's it's us. So on the one hand, we don't cater and we're very, well, okay. On the one hand, we're very nurturing to our child and we're saying, okay, they are picky. And because of that, I need to make sure there's always a familiar food on the plate, mm-hmm. That is kind, that is respectful, that is the right thing to do. When you put a food that they're comfortable with on the table, they're much more likely to start eating. Once they start eating, they're much more likely to finish eating. We, they cannot finish their plate if they don't start eating. The fastest way to get them eating is to put something that is familiar and likable to them on that plate. On the other hand, they are not in charge of what is served in our house. Mm-hmm. We, we are going to make a meal. And as soon as we start catering and we make them their second meal, we open a new can of worms, which is they think they deserve a special meal. Guess what? Mm -hmm. They're two. They don't deserve a special meal. They deserve to be nourished. They deserve to have familiar food, but they also deserve to just be part of the whole thing, Mm -hmm. part of the family. And the family meal is, is key and not catering in that way. So, you know, if you have, if you like to serve uh, lasagna and salad, and that is a meal that is important to you and your family, and so you serve that, and your toddler doesn't like mixed foods and hasn't really figured out how to eat salad yet, then it's still good to serve that meal to the toddler and to have it on the table, even if it's not on their plate. Mm -hmm. They also need to have a familiar food to them that, you know, they like Maybe that's bread. And so you Mm -hmm. have bread and butter on the table and guess what? They eat bread and butter for that whole meal. That's fine. There's no harm. That's going to come to your child
0: if they just eat bread Mm -hmm. for a meal. Okay. Cause that happens a lot at our house where I'll give her whatever, but then I'll also give her a piece of bread with peanut butter on it
2: Mm -hmm.
0: or something and then just because I know that like in a jam, that's what she'll take. And she often just goes for that. And then in order to get her to eat the vegetables or whatever, like she loves red pepper, mm-hmm. but sometimes she won't start eating it until we kind of coax her into it. And then we use like we're in a game of, you know, like, oh, if you're not going to eat that pepper, mommy's going to eat it or daddy's going to eat it. And then we go to eat it. And then she decides that she wants it and she takes right. it. Right. And it's It's exhausting. I mean, it works, I guess, but it's it's exhausting. So do you have any other tools for, you know, getting picky eaters to sure. eat new foods? Well, I think you really kind of tapped into it.
4: Being a parent is exhausting and mm-hmm. connecting with kids is exhausting. <laughs> so there's no real easy way out here. But that element of play at mealtime is so powerful. And uh, I know we, oh, I have one of my kids is pretty selective and he never really loves broccoli. Right. But next thing you know, my husband is picking up a piece of broccoli and singing into it like it's a microphone and everybody's laughing. And next thing you know, my picky eater is picking up his piece of broccoli and singing into it like it's a microphone. And you know, since it's so close, he takes a bite. Next thing you know, he eats all of his broccoli. Mm-hmm. That honestly, food play is the only way that that child almost ever eats broccoli. I would say 90% of the time he eats broccoli. It's because we engaged it in a way that was just fun and it, there was no pressure, but everybody was eating it and it was fun. So why not? And, and so he, he'll say things like, I don't like broccoli, but then he'll eat broccoli almost every single time we serve it. As long as we also introduce this element of fun. So I think that element of fun, although hiring, especially, you know, it's like we have to come up with creativity (laughs) for kids all day long. They are the the original content monster. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I always need new things, right? But it's really powerful if we want our kids actually eating veggies in a way that is not coercive, right? We're not saying, oh, I'll give you dessert if you eat your broccoli.
0: Right. And we do that. I'm, I'm I'm so happy you said that because that's an area that I thought we were kind of digging ourselves into a hole but I'm happy to see that play you know even after the initial baby phase where they're like just smooshing their foods around and playing with yeah. the texture yeah I'm glad to know that's still okay yeah so what are your thoughts on because I've heard this before from other food experts serving dessert or a dessert you know a bit of a dessert food at the same time as the rest of the meal
4: Yeah, I recommend that a lot of times. doesn't mean you always have Mm -hmm. to do it that way. What I find is a lot of parents have gotten into or either raised in the eat your dinner to get dessert Mm -hmm. mentality, or they've just kind of fallen into it because they find, oh, I can get my kid to eat their whole meal if I bribe them with dessert. But here's the thing, when we use dessert as a bribe, we teach kids to not listen to what their body is saying. So they may overeat just to get dessert and then they like overeat twice. And then we also tell them every single time we tell them that we say, we're essentially saying, these veggies are bad and dessert is good. They're so bad, in fact, these veggies that I have to bribe you to get them, get you to eat them. (laughs) And so that decreases their internal like of the food and it increases their internal like of the dessert, which is exactly the opposite of what we really want to do. So if you've fallen into this trap, the fastest way off that train Mm -hmm. is to take a a child-sized portion of dessert, which is a small size such that they can't really fill up on it. And you just put it on the plate without saying anything. You don't say anything. You don't draw attention to it. They may say something and you can respond to them, but you just don't make it a big deal. It's just there Mm -hmm. like the broccoli. and what you often see after maybe one or two days of doing this usually after two or three days actually <laughs> is they're not phased by it anymore they're not so excited cuz it kind of wore off and then you can space it out i mean we don't do dessert on the plate every single night by any or day by any means but we've been you know we've had a lot of halloween candy in the the post halloween era and for the, you know for the first week they had it a couple times a day with a Mm. meal or a snack. And then that's, you know, now they're at maybe like every other day, every third day, something like that. We're not really that worried about it, but we always serve it alongside a meal or a snack that just makes it less special. Mm -hmm. And honestly, candy is special on
0: its own. So we don't need to add to that. (laughs) No, I, I I think that's so good. And I think that I need to take a lesson from that, because like even after Halloween, thank God Lucy's not old enough to know that we stole all her candy. Because right, it was gone in a week, which is oh. disgusting on the part of myself and Shane. But yeah, we we definitely need to like what destigmatize candy, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. as being this great great thing because she is in a thing. Like now we're at the cottage. And she knows that we have marshmallows to make s'mores stored in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And she's wanting marshmallows. It was my goal initially when I had a kid not to give her any sweets for like years. And I had this very idealistic view of, you know, only feeding organic, always homemade. That all went to shit when I started, like when life caught up with me and things started getting busy. Yeah. And so- what What is your thought on candy and, and sugary snacks for kids? Like what age is okay? That kind of thing.
4: Sure. So the official recommendation by the American Academy of Pediatrics is no added sugars until two. The reality of that, I mean, that's fine, maybe for a mm-hmm. first child, but I don't know how that could even possibly be remotely practical for any family that has more than one child unless they never ever consume added sugars. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is as your child learns to eat, they're gonna participate in whatever the family is eating. So as long as they don't know about it, you don't have to give it to them. Mm. But once they do learn about it, they're gonna be pretty angry when you're all eating marshmallows and they're not and you've given them an apple. <laughs> an apple. Yes. You know, that's not gonna fly with a with a two-year-old. So let me just say so lay it as long as you can. And then, you know, just because I had a cookie doesn't mean you need to continue to like introduce it all the time. I prefer to restrict covertly, which is basically if my kids don't know about something, I don't introduce them. I know they're going to get introduced to all this stuff over time, but if they don't know about it, I don't need to bring it up. I can eat dessert after they go to bed until a certain point, Right. At that point, at which I want to have dessert with my kids. And now we all go to the ice cream shop together and we all eat ice cream. And now my kids ask for ice cream, right? But connecting with my kids over ice cream is really fun. And we have ice mm-hmm. cream, you know, once or twice a week. And it's, we just don't make it a big deal. When we model moderation in these things, we keep ourselves from being obsessed about the ice cream. It's mm-hmm. really, we don't need to be losing any sleep over whether we have ice cream. Of <laughs> uh, once a week or once a month. I I mean, really, like of all the mm. things we lose sleep over. Uh, but sometimes we do get kind of fixated on these little things. But no, we could just eat, live our lives in moderation. Yeah, we always have ice cream in the freezer. And when everybody feels like they want ice cream, we have ice cream as a family. And so mm. we give kids the permission to have these foods. But we also model that most of the days we don't eat ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when we really, really feel like ice cream, we have some.
0: All right, Jennifer, we are just going to take a quick break and tell the listeners that we are supported by Hoppe. This week, we are promoting two of Hoppe's awesome toys, the first being their Baby Einstein Deluxe Magic Touch Piano, which is the favorite in our house and has been for like the past year
1: it's the best toy Lucy's ever owned I like her playing with it because I like to play with it
0: it's an innovative wooden piano that makes real piano sounds even though there's no keys and buttons like you just kind of touch it And it plays music. So there's three modes. There is baby, free play, and learn. And the learn style, it comes with all these different cards. And they show you like corresponding colors that you can touch to play songs. And Shane actually has turned into a kind of musician because of it.
1: Yeah, I learned Kanye West's Runaway on it. You did! And it's pretty fun to play. And if you are an aunt, an uncle, a mom, or a dad, I think this is a foolproof gift for your wee one.
0: No, it's absolutely incredible. And the next gift that we are talking about for Habe is the Grow With Me wooden rocking horse. So it's a modern children's rocking horse made with a natural wooden finish and then a red mane that's just beautiful, red seat. And it also has a removable safety bar and backrest that are added so they can easily be taken away once your kid develops the stability and muscle control without that need for support. Your kids will absolutely love the enjoyment of rocking and developing their sense of balance. And honestly, Lou finds rocking on a horse just comforting. I think that repetition.
1: Rocking on a horse is one of Lou's favorite pastimes, in fact. But we did have (laughs) to take her, uh, it was a sheep thing because it didn't have the safety thing and she was flipping off of it so this one actually has the safety features so i highly recommend it because well hey we're actually going to buy it after we do this read
0: oh 100 and both toys are very child safe made of solid wood and have non-toxic finishes so to get 10 percent off of either one of them go to playwellcanada.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 again that's playwellcanada.ca and thisfamilytree10 this offer is available in canada only
1: And this is on a bit of a time crunch, so it's December 14th. This deal will be gone. Again, these are the best toys ever made, so I would jump on it. But we are also supported by
0: Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity, and they have the best basics for your littles. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are so soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender.
1: Now when I was a kid I hated getting clothing for Christmas but somehow (laughs) little kids love it.
0: They do and the thing is if you're shopping for mini miage of course they're gonna love it because it's like you know it feels like pajamas but they're fashionable clothes that you can wear all day long.
1: I think it must be like four or five maybe where they start to hate it but Lou really loves it and you will love it as a parent because it's going to be probably the only thing you're going to want your kids to wear because it's easy to put on, it's durable, they can double as pajamas, oh, yeah. and they can wear it to their nicest events that they go to.
0: No, it's the best, and they just launched their knit collection, which includes organic merino wool, upcycled polar fleece, and sherba fleece. And they've also relaunched the fan favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers, which Betty absolutely lives in, and we need to get her more just because like she rarely wants to get changed out of it. Yeah. I'm assuming. Or maybe you, it's you just me liking it. You would think a
1: four-month-old wouldn't be so uh, in control over what she wears, <laughs> but she is. <laughs> She's our girl.
0: Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at mini or at mini on Instagram and Facebook. Use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. That is significant, and this promo is available in Canada and the US. So that's mini miosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. But let's get back to our interview with Jennifer Anderson. I want your take on, you know, letting toddlers or young kids graze during a mealtime because I, you know, so much of this conversation keeps coming back to the idea that families are enjoying food together and it, what that models is so beneficial. But then I've had some listeners write into me uh, knowing that you were coming on and saying, well, my kid likes to graze or they don't really sit Mm -hmm. at the table. They pick and then they run away and it's hard to get them to sit down. So- I've always tried to keep Lou at the table, like my, my toddler, but then like the other night, I mean, it is so hard for us to all sit down and eat. Mm-hmm. Usually Lucy eats and then Shane and I eat once she's in bed, but we sit with her while she's eating. And then we finally had a moment the other night, our first night at the cottage, we were all sitting down eating dinner. And then I wish he was here because I was going to call him out and publicly shame him. But Shane got up and he he started eating in the kitchen or something. He was all stressed and he was anxiety ridden and he just couldn't sit down. I was like, this was our moment. This was our first moment in weeks. And you're up at the kitchen island eating like I wanted to yell at him, but lose eating dinner. And it was just it was awkward. And what is your thought on eating together, nodding together, kids grazing, that kind of thing.
4: So so here's a few things. One, we are in pandemic life. So I wouldn't publicly shame anyone for absolutely anything at this point. (laughs) I mean, hey, you guys are all smiling and everybody's alive. So it seems like you guys are doing okay. I, I think right now there's so much stress that people are kind of like having to take it out in different ways. But Thinking about kind of what we want to shoot for when we have the capacity, we do want to shoot for family meals for a couple of reasons. Well, where everybody is eating together and has access to the same food. The reason for that is your child observes you eating. You have no idea how powerful your modeling is for your child. Mm -hmm. If you think back to your own childhood, you may even be able to kind of say, oh, this is how my mom ate. This is how my dad ate eight. And now look at me. I'm like, remarkably like them. I mean, there's so many things. My mom never taught me how to like yell at my kids or <laughs> not like <laughs> hey, these things like I grew up with. Right. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that just came out of my mouth. It's exactly like my mother. She didn't like teach me that she just did it. Right. And it like gets stuck in there. I'm like, can't believe I just did that. There's so many things, but the, the thing is that also works for positive things right? My mom always said certain positive things and now I hear them coming out of my mouth or Mm -hmm. my mom always ate salads or I don't even think that's a thing, but she always asked for dressing on the side. And I didn't understand it when I was growing up, but now I'm like, oh, that was so smart. because otherwise it's like, oh, soggy in the dressing. (laughs) And so I always asked for it on the side, but I learned that from my mother.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: So I think there's just this really strong power in modeling that we don't realize. So when we teach our kids to sit at the table for an age-appropriate amount of time, we're teaching them social skills, we're teaching them verbal skills, we're teaching them eating skills, and we're giving them the exposures that they need to learn to eat new foods. So it's a really key component of kids learning to eat foods that they're unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with or that they don't like is them seeing you eat that disgusting thing and you're saying it's good. Huh, that's interesting to them. And they're also, they might be hearing it, hearing you crunch it. They might be smelling it, the sight, the sound, the taste, maybe they touch it. You know, it's so key. And that's, that's the power of meals. Now, as far as like kids running away from the table, that is a choking hazard. So I kind of have to draw the hard line as a professional. (laughs) Like, I can't say it's okay to have your kid running around with food. It's just really, really dangerous. So... Mm -hmm. That is one of the things you got to teach your kid how to sit at the table. And in my free picky eater guide, I actually outlined my method, like how to find your kids maximum sitting time. Now I get it. I didn't have any easy like leg ups in this lottery of children sitting down. I have two <laughs> extraordinarily active boys. And when I got them sitting at the table for 12 minutes, I gave myself a pat on the back because that was a major. It's wild. Yeah. So if I can, if I can get my two boys to sit at the table for their age appropriate amount of time, I am fully confident that I can help other parents do the
0: same thing. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, so, so much of this is important for modeling. So the kids can see us eating these things, but how do you model, you know, eating certain foods when you can't eat those foods for whatever reason. So I had a listener write in that, you know, they have an allergy to something. So they're Mm -hmm. trying to get their kid to eat whatever it is, like just say it's eggs, but then the parent won't eat it and the kid doesn't get it. And like Shane hates fish. Uh He's never been able to stomach fish. I love it. So it's like if I make fish for Lucy and Shane's the one supervising her meal, he's not going to try it. He can't do the, Oh, I'm going to, I can take a bite. Sure. And like, yeah. you know, so how, do, how do you model that behavior? I
4: think that's a great learning opportunity. So the way that we talk about foods that we don't like in our house is I'm learning to like that, or I don't like that yet. Like mm-hmm. hang on just that possibility that, yeah, you may not like it now, but that doesn't mean that's the end of the story. So personally, I did as collect a collective eater myself, and there's a whole bunch of foods that I don't eat, and then I also have some just physical problems, and so I I don't really eat that much dairy, and I'm allergic to salmon, and there's like all these all these things. I know, right? Oh man! Especially for a dietitian, I mean, dietitian should not be allowed to not eat salmon, but uh, <laughs> my allergist doesn't really care. She's like, don't eat it. <laughs> So they know that I'm allergic to salmon. And I can just say, you know what? When my body eats salmon, this is what happens. But your body is different and your body might like it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I say is, you know, mommy's mommy's still learning to like mushrooms. And then I have the opportunity to model exactly what I want my child to do. Mushrooms really are not something that I enjoy at all. I I just don't. <laughs> but for the sake of my children, I have said, you know what? I'm, mommy's still learning to like mushrooms today. I'm going to try it. And I'm just going to see, do I like it? And so I tried it. And what did they see? They saw me say, you know, I'm still learning to like it. I'm going to try it. Mm -hmm. I describe it. It was bouncy in my mouth. It was soft. You know, it had this flavor and then I don't try anymore. And that's Perfectly fine. I modeled exactly what I wanted them to be, which is kind, respectful, exploratory, but also honors what their body tells them, which is, I am not going to put a single one more of those in my mouth right now. And that gives them permission to do the same thing Mm -hmm. in the future. And so we go through a lot of things like that. Yeah. Was it fun for me to put a mushroom in my mouth? No, but it also (laughs) (laughs) brings me back to my purpose right now, which is to help picky eaters and their family eat more food. And it reminds me, yeah, it can be really disgusting to try foods that you don't like. And it helps us be in a place of empathy.
0: I I think that's so crucial. And I'm definitely going to start implementing that because I actually hate that Shane doesn't like fish and like won't really even try it. And I want to start using that with him, with him and Lucy, like mm-hmm. both of you guys learn to like it together. Like, let's do a taste because I would love it if he could enjoy some of the fish dishes that I enjoy because they're amazing.
4: And you know what? He may never like it. And who knows? Maybe he's allergic to fish and he doesn't know about it. And his body, like, gets nauseous. You never know why a person is selective with things. Mm -hmm. And he may never like it. But if he's interested in modeling this trying behavior or even just the speech of it. So for example, I will not eat mayonnaise to me. It is. He won't either. Absolutely (laughs) revolting. I cannot. I mean, I, as an adult, as a 32 year old adult, I cried when someone gave me a sandwich that has mayonnaise on it.
0: He will, he will not eat it. He will throw away the bread or whatever it has touched. Like just toss it. I can't even look at it. Yes. I cannot. I cannot guys. I don't know. It is just a disgust
4: thing, but here's the thing. I can still say I'm learning to like mayonnaise. I don't like mayonnaise yet because maybe there will be a time in my life when I like it. I don't know, but it also shows my kids that I can respect myself, you know, Mommy is still learning to like mayonnaise. No, thank you for this meal. Mm-hmm. There's no harm in that. And you know what? As an adult, there have been a times, few times where I've had to eat it. It was like, eat that or starve. And so I actually chose <laughs> to, to eat it. But I could do that as an adult. I couldn't have done that as a child. I wouldn't have had the emotional and physical reserves to be able to pull that together. So I think we just have to give our kids some space and come at it from a place of empathy. And then model, model all the things Mm -hmm. we want to see. Like how do, what do we want them to say when they're in public and they encounter food that is revolting to them? Yeah. We have to show them what we want them to do. And that is not like having a dramatic gagging fit and falling Mm -hmm. on the floor crying, right? So what do we want them to do instead?
0: See, it is so different for me because I will eat literally anything. Like I went on a date one time with a guy in Mexico, a Mexican guy, and he took me to his favorite street taco stand and got me a taco like a taquito type thing with cow brains oh my gosh that's like exceptionally dangerous as well but i ate it and loved it and like i'm will i'm truly willing to try anything but things like mayonnaise and fish i'm gonna have to wait until shane is senile i think for him to be able to enjoy them because he won't even know what he likes or not yeah okay so i i just wanted to get through a couple speed round listener questions sure. before I let you go. Uh, so one, uh, listener would like to know when should they start serving milk in an open cup, open cup, sorry.
4: Um, well, I always served milk in an open cup. It did come with a lot of spills, but I was too lazy to wash straws and seals and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so milk is only available at the table or in the kitchen in our house. So Um, it's really up to you, but there's no age too early. You just have to Mm -hmm. realize they're
0: learning. Of course. Of course. Okay. Uh, Kid doesn't want dinner, only wants snacks. We suffer from that. And that's kind of something that we've gone over, but how would you in, in a word? If your child is
4: only liking, like snack foods, then I recommend not serving very many snack foods and Mm -hmm. serving them alongside non-snack foods. Basically, Food is food, especially for younger kids. And so so you serve a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The snacks in between those can actually be same foods that you would serve at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now, I'm not suggesting that you reserve a food they won't eat over and over and over until they eat it. That's Mm -hmm. not helpful in any way, shape, or form. But you can serve the same sorts of foods you would serve a toddler for lunch. You can also serve them for a snack. Basically, they're just meals. or an eating opportunity and you can serve the same foods. But if they're holding out for like crinkly bag type things, then that is a hint that you need to get rid of the crinkly bags and just serve food in regular dishes. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Kid hates texture,
0: keeps spitting out certain foods.
4: Yep. That's huge, especially if they have sensory sensitivities. So you just have to keep Serving those now. If it gets to the point where your kid is like really restricting the number of foods they eat, they're getting extremely picky. Then you need additional help to work mm-hmm. through that because that can become pretty extreme. And that's like what my Better Bites program is for and things like that. Because okay. you may need more support.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, any fruits or vegetables that are nutritionally worse frozen? Frozen that I should absolutely buy fresh? Oh no
4: frozen and fresh are extremely similar nutrition wise.
0: So I I mean, I don't have any No, that's the best. That's the best answer. I mean, I was I was happy this person wrote that in cuz I was like, yeah, my freezer is full of frozen veg and fruit because yeah. it's, it's so easy, it's always in season and economical like crazy. Right. I'd go broke buying fresh all the time. Then the last listener question that we haven't already gotten to is This one is unique. I have a three and a half year old who doesn't want to feed themselves. They only want me to feed them. What do I do? Great question. So this needs more support usually.
4: First, you want to probably have them evaluated by an occupational therapist to make sure they actually have the ability to -hmm. feed themselves. And to really kind of assess what is going on in that situation. But if they're three and a half and they're unable to
0: feed themselves at that point, that's a red flag that you want to explore. Awesome. Jennifer. This has been amazing. I I have learned so much and I am going into, you know, baby led weaning again shortly and with a newfound confidence, I think. But I really appreciate this because I can even get Shane on some of these habits, which I needed to. But if people want to go take your courses, want to check you out on socials, on Instagram, where can they find you? You can find me
4: anywhere Kizzy in Color.
0: Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, I'm I'm wherever people are. Amazing, amazing, and truly, thank you so much for joining us today. This was all right. Back what did to- I
1: miss? <laughs> I miss anything good?
0: But no, Jennifer is changing our life, including yours. By yeah, I heard.
1: I was overhearing some stuff. You want me to eat fish? Yeah.
0: Basically, I gave I gave you permission to
4: never have to learn to like fish, but to always try it. Really? But to never I've know. I've Tried
1: fish before. Like I know I don't <laughs> like it. You don't uh, like it
0: yet. You don't like it yet. Okay. That's the key word that that us and the kids are going to remember. Okay. Yet yet is
1: the operative word. Okay. I'll take that into account.
0: But Jennifer, (laughs) truly, thank you so much. And again, sorry for the total bullshit at the beginning. I assure uh, you,
1: we are a legitimate podcast. I am a TV professional. I do this for a living. And that was embarrassing for me.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was enjoyable for me. Uh, You know, thank you so much for having me on. It was a really great to talk to you.
1: All right, Absolutely. you have a good rest of your day, you week, too. weekend. Yeah, take care. Whatever it, or, uh, it is. Yeah,
0: take
1: whatever you later. it is. <laughs>
0: Bye-bye. Bye, See Jennifer.
1: You. Okay, that was Jennifer Anderson. Whoa.
0: See, that went so well in the end. And I like it sometimes. we talked about this where it ends up just being me. And then, I don't know, I get to kind of make fun of you because you're not there to defend yourself. And it's like, it's fun. It's, you get to learn a lot. And it's kind of like girl talk at the same time.
1: Yeah, I was listening, kind of from up above, like embarrassed and fuming because of what happened. How, how the thing opened, and it's like, yeah, we can't get Shane to eat. And before I knew, it, you were talking about how I don't eat fish. And I was like, is this for? Her, is this gonna help moms at all?
0: No, it does. It does. And <laughs> it she has knowing she whether had, I'll
1: eat fish sticks does help you. No, guys. but
0: she had great solutions, and I do think that people that have been listening will see that and will be able to implement some of these things in their own homes.
1: Okay, and uh, coming up next, we have Dilshad, who you told me didn't have a last name. No, she... <laughs> now she has a last name.
0: Okay, well... She I thought do- she was like Cher. She doesn't use a last name on Instagram, so she is kind of like Cher for gentle parenting. Mm-hmm. But she is Dilshad Bamgara and she was born in India and is now living in New Zealand.
1: So this is another person with a very interesting accent. Mm-hmm. So we had the woman who lived in Toronto... Uh, Emily Norris, of course, I'm referring to. She lived in Toronto until she was 14 and then moved to England and then has kind of a hybrid accent. I found myself noticing that she had a little bit of a New Zealand accent, which I guess is called the Kiwi accent.
0: Kiwi. Okay. Yeah.
1: But anyway, interesting accent, very hypnotic voice. I really. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah just loved listening to her, and she was, had very cool ideas and thoughts and stuff I gleaned from it. But before we get to that, Alex, please tell us who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by my breast friend. Now,
1: is breast spelled B R E A S T like you would assume?
0: You know it's not, it's a B R E S T. Oh. Yeah, so My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And
1: it's also supported me, a dad.
0: It has.
1: I use a bottle sometimes to feed my child, and when I'm doing it, I have My Breast Friend underneath me.
0: No, it's the only way, honestly, to not get like a kink in your neck or in your your arm muscles. I don't know what that muscle is called, but it really hurts if you don't have a good support there.
1: I like a kink in some places, but definitely around my neck is not where I want it.
0: (laughs) Lactation consultants around the world credit The Pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. It's just simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at byebyebaby.com. Target.com, Walmart.com, BabyList.com, and Amazon.com. Get to it for yourself or for a friend and you won't be sorry.
1: And we are also supported by
0: Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the most comfortable nursing bras that you will find on the market. When I first had one with Lucy, Shane, like picked it up for me on a whim from babies are us I
1: just threw it at you and said wear this
0: (laughs) and it was the most comfortable thing that he's ever thrown at me and said to wear in my life in fact even once I was finished nursing Lucy I continued to wear that bra just because Nothing felt like it after that. And now you don't have to do what I did because they just came out with an everyday collection which has no clips but the same amazing comfort for your
1: boobs. Wait, does that mean you can be not pregnant or have children and wear this?
0: Bingo. So you can get the nursing bras at Bravado. <laughs> Keep going. You can get the nursing bras at com or head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. That's massive. Again, the websites are bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20.
1: And get those bras. But now let's get to our interview with Delshad.
0: Delshad, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We are so excited to talk to you. So you are a gentle parenting person activist. Can you please describe to listeners
3: what exactly that means? Gentle parenting is, it's just a label. An ideal situation would be that we wouldn't need these labels. But um, for the sake of it, let's just talk about it. It's parenting that believes our children are deserving of the same empathy, respect, compassion, understanding that any other adult is. I have a really simple rule of thumb is I would treat any child the same way I would want to be treated
2: mm-hmm.
3: as an adult. Treat them the same way you want to be treated. Our society isn't really a big fan of children. <laughs> we see that um, in a lot of things. Um, it's portrayed in the media. It's portrayed in how we make fun of them. It's portrayed in how we don't take them seriously. It's passed down from generations. And sometimes I do those things because that's how I was brought up. It's, it's something that a lot of times we're not even conscious of doing. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, the goal is to change people's perspectives. That is one part of it, to change people's outlooks on children being a whole person and having the same rights, having the same autonomy. And the other part is obviously parenting. So mainstream parenting is full of punitive uh, methods of hitting and spanking and timeouts and punishments and consequences.
0: Is is that is that a big thing in New Zealand? Hitting and spanking. I know timeouts are big here in Canada, but Mm -hmm. I don't really see people spanking. At least they don't talk about it.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's illegal here. Mm -hmm. It's illegal in New Zealand. But becoming a thing, being illegal, doesn't stop people from doing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that you know I'm sure people you know um, spank behind closed doors, but. It is a possibility that what we believe is making it illegal is just the first step unless you um, change the mentality behind it. Because when you're angry, when you're in that moment of trigger, you will go back to what you have done or what has been done to you, what is familiar to you. If you have been raised with um, violence, um, with spanking, when you're angry, that is the only way you know how to deal with it. Mm. So... Changing that, rewiring our brain is extremely challenging. I was brought up with spankings mm-hmm. and when my son triggers me, that is the first thing that my brain wants to do. But it has taken me a lot of pausing, a lot of breathing, a lot of hard work to not do that to him and to be take a pause, to move away. And it gets, it's extremely challenging, but it gets easier with each time you practice.
1: I was spanked quite heavily when I was a child. And my parents were proud spankers because (laughs) I think that back then it wasn't, it was the norm for parents to do so. So they Ah, would kind ah. of just be open about the spanking Mm -hmm. and and belts too. I was hit with a belt. And I found in my older age now, and I've never really thought about why, but I'm very anti-authority. Authority figures make me very nervous. I don't walk with my head up. Hi, I'm nervous. Yeah. Do you think that is a byproduct of the spanking?
3: Absolutely. Um, there has been so much research on it. I think the website for it is no Um I can send it to you later. But they have so much research on it saying, what, what are the byproducts of spanking? <laughs> Sorry, uh,
1: no spank.com. <laughs> that is a funny website <laughs> title. That is funny. I'm sorry to laugh, but yeah, I couldn't keep it in. But NoSpank.com got you. Sorry, continue.
3: I could be I could be absolutely wrong, actually, right. because they had a challenge, a spank challenge. So I just connected that. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, I was brought up in India. I right. um, was born and raised in India, and um, the Indian Asian culture is pretty much um, punitive. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they're pretty proud spankers. (laughs) They would um, actually even joke about it. Their media, the society, um, it's so ingrained in there that it's quite normalized. Like you wouldn't think twice when you thought of somebody being hit. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty um, a part of your life. And that's how that's how we were brought up. So I guess it is cultural, but it is also passed down from generations to generations. And it has to be the work of, you know, one generation to mm-hmm. just stop it and try to find new ways to handle things.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, spanking, I would I consider that nowadays to be on the extreme of punitive punishment yeah. to deal with a child. But things like, for instance, just to give an example from our own life, our daughter's name is Lucy. And she's gotten into the habit of throwing food on the the floor to be kind of mischievous. That's fun for her. So we were taking her out of her chair and picking up the food, asking her to pick up the food and put it in the garbage. To me, that seems like a very mild and appropriate punishment. But I don't know much about 10 years down the line how this behavior is going to affect her. In your opinion, is this an okay punishment?
3: Um. So... First of all, if you saw that as a punishment and you were coming from a place of punishing her for doing it, then it falls into the gray area. But if you just in a a normal circumstance, right, if as an adult, if we drop food, what are we going to do? Pick it up. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not punishing ourselves for dropping food. So I think it's just a perspective change. Mm -hmm. You drop food, you pick it up. Uh, That's a skill we need to have in our adult life. If we drop something, if we make a mess, we clean it up. So my son, same, he will drop things on the ground. We just, once he's done, finished eating, he just helps me pick things up. And I give him a rag, he helps me clean up and go on with the day. So I guess it's just what you're doing is perfect. But if you just come from a place of, It's a life lesson. You make a mess, you clean it up. And, you know, not as something you're implementing. mm -hmm. um, It makes all, all your lives easier. See, I would love to say that she's a
0: good enough girl that she just simply drops food. But she will look me in the eyes, take the food, and go and toss it at the wall, at the floor so intentionally. And not with malice, but she knows she's doing something wrong. So it's not just dropping it. It is intentionally right. crossing the line, so in that case, how do you how do you approach that?
3: So it's it's like a it's like a power struggle, right? Yeah. I mean, how old is she? Two and a half. Two and a half. <laughs> uh, they're just discovering that they are independent beings. They no longer think that they are a part of us. They have their free will, and what better way to explore their free will than to push our buttons? They look at our reactions, our angry faces, our yelly faces, make them laugh. My son till he was about, he's three, till he was about two and a half. Anytime I yelled at him, he laughed. And that sort of got me out of the trance because one, I thought, oh, this is making him laugh. And I was thankful that it didn't scare him. Mm -hmm. So they are, our reactions are funny and they love to push boundaries. They love to, the power struggle, right? They need that power. They need to feel powerful in themselves. A lot of places I have read suggest that giving our children Power in other things in their life like maybe letting them choose what plate they want to eat or what cup they want to drink from or what top they want to wear a little power in their life might help them collaborate on things that we want them to Mm -hmm. and A lot of experts will tell you that two and a half, this is developmentally appropriate. As frustrating as it is, it is developmentally appropriate and it is a phase. And as quickly as we drop the power struggle, let them have their power, they are just going to move
1: faster what about delay tactics bedtime i'm referring to and i was doing some reading uh, off of your website about this and how it was kind of not the thing to be doing but we do this anyway which is if her bedtime's getting a little late i'll say oh since you were dawdling now there's no stories and i say that because i'm willing to not read the story but I'm also telling her to hurry up now so we can read the story. Can read the story. Now, yeah. now what is yeah. the, the negative implications of these threats that I'm doing?
3: It's not particularly about the story or reading the books or the actual verbal threat that we are presenting. It's what's behind it is that we are trying to, to put it plainly, we are trying to manipulate their behavior in order to make life easier for us i've done it i've done it i you know it's not easy i mean theory the gentle parenting theory is wonderful but putting it in practice is is a lifelong practice all it's teaching them is when you want your way you can just threaten, and bribe and manipulate like um we say that the best tool for gentle parents or any parent is modeling what you want your child to learn you do it they're not going to do what you ask them to do they're just going to do what you do and that's pretty much what is. I mean, I guess one or two or ten instances won't actually teach them that, but repeatedly, that is that might be what they learn right. to do when they grow up to manipulate them. You know,
1: this strategy of gentle parenting. Would I be correct in to say that it's going to be short-term pain for the, <laughs> the parents to in order to get a long-term gain?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. It is. Um, there are no quick fixes. It is going to take a lot of time. There was this really good thing I was reading yesterday about how mainstream parenting promises to give you quick fixes, but it's not really a quick fix, right? Like even with punishments, um, let's not even talk about spanking, but even with punishments, you have to punish to a certain level and then our child gets immune. Mm-hmm. Then you have to punish some more for it to be effective. You're still spending the same amount of time, the same amount of annoyance, the same amount of inconvenience, but Instead of spending that time doing all that, if you spent the same amount of time trying to be a little more patient, trying to look behind the behavior, trying to um, sort of try and reparent ourselves and rewire our brains, taking the same amount of time, it's just what the outcome of each is going to be is quite different.
1: When is the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, when do we get the rewards from being patient? Is mm-hmm. it just. When they're 18 or like by the time they're (laughs) seven, are we going to be like, ah, I'm glad we did this gentle parenting?
3: I guess it's like an ongoing process because there are a lot of times your child will surprise you. For example, like. I only have one son at the moment, but I have heard of people having multiple children and their older children who have been parented gently are extremely kind and um, considerate of their younger siblings. I personally know of one of my biggest parenting mentors. He has a grown up daughter, a 23 year old, and he's got the most amazing relationship with her it is it is really heartening he is like if i were to be even quarter of the parent he is i would have considered that you know i have been a success so he's somebody we really look up to and mm-hmm. somebody especially having an adult daughter that makes us really hopeful
1: now this is a question i've been asking several experts and i'm hoping you can give me the definitive answer nature <laughs> versus nurture how does this shake out here
3: <laughs> nature gives us our features nature gives us our dna so if our if generations have been treated punitively there is a part of our dna that these punitive methods is ingrained in our brain is wired that way so that is nature right Um, by nurture we can rewire those paths by nurturing ourselves and by nurturing the next generation Mm -hmm. the way we take care of them the environment we give them has the potential to rewire our own brains and in that process rewire or sort of correctly wire the brains of our children. So I would say it goes hand in hand, but I think I would put nurture far more important over what nature has given us. Nurture has the power to change what nature has given us.
2: Right.
0: I was just thinking about you mentioning that friend of yours, that kind of parenting mentor that has the adult yes. daughter and they have a great relationship. Yes. One thing that I'm often struggling with when I'm you know, implementing gentle parenting methods, I'm thinking, okay, I want to discipline my child. And I also, you know, I want to do this gently. I don't want to like punish them because I do want that great relationship to develop. However, you know, I get worried sometimes that maybe I'm not showing enough discipline. I don't want to be their friend. I don't want to just let them do whatever they do. And I don't want that a friendship relationship when they're older. I still want it to be very you know parent and child friends in a way even when you're older like when no, you're 18 no. yeah yeah I mean. but i want it to be more like friends like i think my parents and i have a good relationship like that but they were never they never let me do whatever i wanted to do yeah. and they weren't they never used um corporal punishment or anything like that yeah yeah so like how do i make sure that i'm not just being their friend from like a young age if that makes sense
3: yeah, yeah. That reminds me um, of this conversation I had, had So on the same thing, right? Because mm-hmm. there is quite the debate about one set of people saying that, you know, parents are not meant to be friends and the other set being that, no, I'm my child's friend. So it comes down to what your definition of being a friend is. Like if my friend wanted to abuse herself or her family or her or child, um, if I was a good friend, I would have that sort of connection with my friend where I could talk to them about things influence them right I would be a friend I would not let my friend do something wrong I would be have have open honest conversations with them I would always be there for them so I guess when people talk about us being our child's friend they're scared that friend means that you know you'll be a partner in the mischief Mm. and you won't actually stop them from doing you know wrong Mm. stuff like peer pressure right with our greatest fear we think that um, our children are going to come under the peer pressure and do wrong things and when we talk about being a friend of our child we associate it with the same thing like our child's going to want to do stuff and we're going to be permissive we're not going to have that sort of boundary in place but I guess You can be a gentle parent and have firm boundaries in place because we all need boundaries. Our children need boundaries. We need boundaries. Mm -hmm. We respect. Our place is to respect our children's boundaries, and that is how they will learn to respect our boundaries. Obviously, when children are younger, it is harder to put collaborative boundaries because, you know, um, it's harder for them to communicate. Mm -hmm. But as they grow older, collaborative boundaries, sitting down on the table and deciding that, you know, these are the boundaries in our house and this is what we will stick to. Health and safety is a huge, huge um, non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. If it comes to safety, if it comes to health, as I can be as kind and you know compassionate as I can, but I will still put that boundary in place. So there's, there's a fine balance, a thin line of being compassionate, being kind and having those boundaries in place, coming from a place of kindness, a compassion, but still holding that boundary firmly. Mm-hmm. so yeah it is quite possible it's just so much and it's you know it's i completely get it i'm in the midst of it right yeah. now so <laughs> i can i can completely resonate with that absolutely
1: is there ever a time and a place where it's like okay i'm a gentle parent but you just totaled the car and i need you to know i'm so mad so i'm gonna in a case of emergency break glass here and yell at you is there ever a time when you're even like okay i'm gentle But here's my once-a-year, you know, freak out.
3: (laughs) I guess gentle doesn't always mean being perfect. We are all going to freak out. We are all going to screw up. We're all going to um, make mistakes, I think. It's good to know. (laughs) For Absolutely, absolutely. Because that was a burden I was putting on myself too. I wanted to be perfect. I was beating myself up thinking, you know, I'm screwing up my child. But I guess it's not... That you have to be a hundred percent perfect to be a gentle parent. It's a process. Even if I am thirty or forty percent, I can bring that gentleness into my relationship. That is thirty or forty percent more than the previous generations. Mm. I don't think I'm gonna be able to stop, you know, the generational trauma in one generation. It is continued work. My son, and if he has kids, then their children will have to do that work. But at least if I can bring a small percentage of that into our family, that will be something. It is a work in progress. Through the years, we learn, we make mistakes. Making mistakes is so important, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I apologize to my son. He knows that I have, you know, he knows I'm making mistakes. I repair my relationship. So they need to see us do that. So yeah, it's not about perfection at all. I have learned that the hard way. So. I can watch for it.
1: I'm sure gentle parenting has unofficially been around for a long time. Just some parents were inherently gentle. But since it's actually become a thing, has there been any scientific research to show what what the outcomes are?
3: There is scientific research that says that even practices like time outs are Mm. harmful. So I don't think there is a research, but I don't know of any that actually tells you that, you know, being kind and compassionate to other people makes them do things better. But I'm presuming that is kind of like uh, taken for granted that, you know, if somebody is kind, compassionate, and gentle towards me, it would want me to be the same with them and the same with others. But there is plenty of research that does show that consequences, timeouts, punitive methods um, have a negative impact on our children.
1: Right. And what is a time in? I was reading up on that, but then I had to run to the interview. I was hoping you could enlighten me.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. So timeouts, to put it very bluntly, is like forced isolation. Mm -hmm. Our children, even though they might not want to be apart from us, we are telling them that as a consequence of their misbehavior, they have to um, sit apart and think about what they've done. Basically, in that moment of dysregulation, so when they are behaving in a certain way or when they're having tantrums, to use that word, they have big emotions. Their minds and bodies are dysregulated. Um, They don't know how to come back to their base level. They are either fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. And coming back to the base level is supposed to be a co-regulation thing. They are meant to learn that by being soothed and regulated by a regulated adult. Firstly, Regulating ourselves is a big task. We didn't learn that as children. A a lot of us didn't learn that as children, right? We don't know how to calm ourselves down from all the big emotions we are having when our child is doing something that's triggering us. So that is the first step is regulating ourselves. The first step of time into is regulating ourselves, getting to that calm state where we are not joining their chaos. And in essence, time in is just having a little time together with Mm. any regulated caregiver so you were in the midst of um, all those big emotions instead of sending them away bring them closer a lot of children won't want you to touch them or hug them but if they do that's great sit together take deep breaths either drink a glass of water or um, some people have these little um, glitter jars that they make and shaking the glitter jar is one of the things that calms them down there is a account on Instagram and they have a website and everything called Generation Mindful. They mm-hmm. do these beautiful time and kits. We purchased one for our son, for ourselves, actually. <laughs> and it's on my living room wall now. He's three. When he's, his favorite emotion is anger. Mm-hmm. He, he says that. So he'll be very, um, yeah. So he'll go, he'll go point to it and say, I'm angry, I'm angry. And then there's there's this chart which shows you what you can do when you're feeling emotions. You either take deep three deep breaths, you drink a glass of water, you hug a soft toy, you read a book, you know, and he will point to what he wants to do. Oh, and it it's so cool. endearing to see that, you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, timing is basically you just take a little moment aside, let your bodies calm down, do something that'll help you calm down. After that has passed, after the emotions have passed, past and your calm then you talk about what happened
2: mm-hmm. right and yeah
3: it's a practice absolutely which um, yeah oh, i love to do it for idea. myself mm-hmm.
1: too <laughs> yeah uh, now, i wanted to ask about forcing kindness and i'm gonna let my wife take over because i actually i have to attend to something right now but she's gonna mm-hmm. be, sure. be uh, taking over for instance when my daughter wakes up from a nap it is like the grumpiest time ever and she'll just <laughs> cry and have little freakouts. but i want to hold her and say it's okay it's okay and she'll be like no no and I'm like no it's okay and I'm kind of forcing a hug on her yeah yeah I, want, yeah. I wanted to know your thoughts on kind of the opposite of a of like a beating it's like a yeah. forced hug and forced now I, hug. I'll, I'll listen I edit these pods so I'll hear the answer once I'm in the editing very nice to meet you thank no. you so much Delshad nice to meet
3: you too so yeah that sounds completely like my husband um when <laughs> When my son is in the midst of being upset or he's um, sort of slipped or something and um, my husband will go try to pick him up, he'll say no. But my husband will, but I have to make sure you're all right and that there'll be a struggle where he's trying to comfort him, but my son's trying to push him away. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a matter of, I know, it feels like, you know, our parental instinct to comfort our children when they are in those situations. But at the base, if we are trying to teach them about consent, body autonomy and boundaries Mm -hmm. I think it's far better to just give them that space Mm -hmm. a lot of times when I am or when other some people they don't like physical contact when they are in low place or not there Mentally, so it's fine. We don't actually force ourselves on those adults when they tell us that we don't really want to hug. So mm-hmm. the same way, it's, it's okay if our children don't want to hug us in that moment. And it's been hard for me to put that into practice myself. But yes, when my son says he doesn't want to hug, I will let him be.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, yeah, that's I'm um, hope I and I hope that that sort of you know teaches him and prepares him for the future to respect other people's boundaries and choices when it comes to physical autonomy.
0: And contact. Absolutely. And so I think my biggest mental blockage, I guess, when it comes to gentle parenting is that I feel like, you know, and I, I re- we really do kind of put this into play yeah. just intuitively every day, but I just feel like maybe not having a consequence. Sometimes it works out, but other times I'm like, oh man, I really wish there was something here because she keeps pushing it and pushing it. And we're not making any progress you know what I mean and yeah. she'll do the same thing yeah. every day and we're never making progress and it's always me validating her yeah. feelings and just which I yeah. like doing but then I don't know when it's appropriate to say okay well then you know what you're not going to have this way I like I am going to take this away from you When is it appropriate yeah.
3: to determine when to do that the gentle parenting, we don't believe in implemented consequences, natural consequences. So you're playing with a toy or you climb up on the couch mm. and you are jumping on the couch and you slip and you fall. I mean, that is quite traumatic. But hopefully our, in, in a lot of cases, they still don't learn. Yeah. <laughs> they fall, they'll get up, they'll go back on the couch. Yes. But yeah, I mean, there are natural consequences to things that we let play and that is something that they will learn through what is happening to them in those consequences and whenever we try to implement something it's like it's like punishments right i mean what we are teaching them is that in order for you to do what i ask you to do i will have to take away something that brings you joy or implement something that is painful mm-hmm. and all that's kind of teaching them. It's not teaching them not to do the certain behavior. It'll teach them to find ways to sneak about and do it anyway.
0: Right.
3: To get better at. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, talking from experience, punishment yeah. <laughs> will teach you to find creative, brilliant ways to do things you want to do without people who have power or you knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And.
0: You know, when you when you consider that and kids getting sneakier, my mind goes to mm. teenagers and kids that oh, are in their yeah. preteen years and you know, your child is young too and we have a yeah. long ways to go before we're there. But <laughs> absolutely do, will gentle parenting work in those occasions when, you know, I think about kids sneaking out to go to parties about drinking and things
3: like that. And will gentle parenting help us take care of those issues? So I guess it starts from them being, so if, if we are close with them, if we are gentle, empathetic, effective, we have a close bond with them when they are toddlers, when we listen to them, mm-hmm. when we respect their boundaries and give them that power, let them have control over their lives when they are little. And keep practicing that as they grow up. Then we still have that influence in their life. Yes, they will have peers, but we will also still have that influence in their life. They will not be waiting to become a teen and just you know sort of get out of this situation. So I, I hear or I read a lot of things that say that you know to for you to have that secure relationship or that place of influence in your teens or preteens' life, it starts when they're toddlers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's Dr. Vanessa. Not sure if you've heard of her, but she is amazing in dealing with these preteen and teen stages. And she has a, she has a beautiful um, Instagram account. She's got a beautiful podcast and she talks really um, a lot of, she has a lot of insights on this. And it's really interesting to hear her talk about it.
0: Do you mind saying her name again?
3: Um, Dr. Vanessa. Okay. Okay.
0: I'll I'll definitely check that out. Thank you. And, you know, when you're implementing things like this, I've spoken to a lot of my friends who also have toddlers and, you know, they'll joke about how, oh man, it's just like when I was growing up, you know, mom says no. So the kid goes to dad and dad says yes. So how do you work on getting your partner on a united (sighs) front when it comes
3: to discipline? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess the... uh, Issue I can say in our family is that I'm a huge believer of gentle parenting and practicing gentle parenting. My husband, um, not so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, would, I honestly wouldn't have guessed because you you seem very gentle you give up a, a very gentle vibe and because this is your area of expertise i was just assuming this was yeah a
3: family thing this is so interesting we have struggled like you wouldn't believe it and i think what i struggle with is i am it's easy for me to be kind and patient to my son but not give my husband the same grace yes yes yeah and uh getting on the same page has been super challenging and um, both of us have our own sort of baggages that we bring to this dynamic and then add a little toddler to it it's just you know a disaster and um, working on our own selves individually is super important for us to then you know when we work on our stuff that we have been carrying for years individually then we come to the place where we are able to um, sort of talk about what we what our expectations from parenthood are what our hopes and dreams for our children are and you know how we want to raise them and so you know we have to it's it's a long process long process we still are not on the same page about a lot of things but I guess I have to and I am learning to give him that space to parent his way
2: mm-hmm.
3: when he is when he is by himself with our son yeah. and I parent the way I want to parent when I am around him, so um, it's it's a balance game. It's a game of juggling. So then,
0: and so whose uh, version of parenting takes over when you're together?
3: I know that is that is the biggest That's struggle. Okay. That is when we have the most arguments. That is when mm. we, you know. So that is something that needs us to constantly work at. So, for example, we'll be in the same room and I'll be the one who's doing dinner time with my child. And a lot of times I will struggle and, you know, again, throwing this, throwing that, not wanting to eat this. Um, I let him choose what he wants to eat, how much he wants to eat. And um, my husband, on the other hand, doesn't really think that's how it should be. He is more of the idea that that's dinner. If you're not hungry, that's fine. You don't have to, you know, you don't get anything. You can just go to bed hungry. And um, I'm more of the um, opinion that, I have healthy choices for him, so it's not like I'm going to offer him ice cream or chips <laughs> or you know chocolates. But I have healthy choices for him, and he can choose what he wants to eat. I make sure there is at least one thing that he likes yes. to eat. So, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's sort of a work in progress.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, we we find that helpful to having at least one thing there. But no. so I I think we kind of fall no. in the middle because we'll put at least one thing they like. And we use. I used to make an entire second meal if my kid didn't want it just to save myself the headache. But I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So I started just saying, you can eat, only eat the thing you want, sure. Yeah. But then if you're not going to have anything else, that's all I'm making. So kind of yeah. too bad. Yeah. But one yeah. thing I want to talk about was shame. I was recently reading, do you know Janet Lansbury? Yeah. She she's fantastic. Yeah. And I was yeah. reading a piece on hers uh, called No Bad Kids. And mm-hmm. it was talking about how to avoid shame when you yeah. are disciplining your child. And, you know, that, that sounds so ideal. And that sounds like, you know, so obviously, I don't want to make my kid feel shame. But at the same time, I want them to know when they did something bad and feel bad about that. And I do use yeah. language sometimes, like, you're not being a good girl right now. And I'm not using the word bad, but
1: it's yeah. still
0: opposite of good. Yeah. So yeah. how can I avoid that? Because that is something that I, I really have trouble with.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I know what you're trying to say, because we want them to realize the implications of their actions, but we don't want them to um, feel like we're putting the burden of you know, mm-hmm. everything on them. So there's this thing that I read that basically it's been helping me is what i do is i kind of narrate it like a story so you were playing with your friend and you were chasing him you were playing, um, you know, the big bad wolf, you were chasing your friend, your friend um, had a ball in his hand, which um, he thought that, you know, uh, your friend decided that the ball defeats the big bad wolf. And he came behind you with the ball and you snatched the ball away from your friend because you were in the wolf mode. That's what the big bad wolf would do. And um, your friend obviously um, got upset because you snatched his favorite ball and threw it. You were very wolf-like really good job on being the Big Bad Wolf. But did you see your friend's face? Was he sad? Why do you think he was sad? Do you remember a time when you were sad? I mean, yeah, two and a half, three, they still probably won't really get a lot. But I guess the point of the whole exercise is talk about the situation, not in the moment after it has passed, narrate what happened, talk about it, and um, let them give you the answers. And That sort of, you know, when they come, they know that they're not being attacked. And obviously, we understand their point of view, what was happening. I mean, obviously, you were playing. Obviously, you were having fun. You were pretending to be. You were perfectly doing your role, whatever you were pretending to be. You were really good at it. That is what a wolf would have done. But did you also, at the same time, notice how your friend felt? And do you remember a time when you felt sad, when something was snatched away from you? Maybe if something like that has happened and you remember the incident, perhaps bring that up and talk about that. It will, it, it's not going to be instant. They're not going to instantly think that, okay, okay, yes, that's right. We're not going to do it. But it's sort of, you know, repetition, lots and lots and lots of repetition, lots of perseverance. I've heard I've heard amazing
0: yeah. things about narrating and I've never done it myself. And that yeah. is something I want to implement. And I'm going to talk to Shane about because yeah. I think that is such a great way to help your kid see yeah. different perspectives and mm-hmm. not only how their actions made them feel, because then you can validate their feelings, yeah. but right. also how their actions made others feel. I think that is mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, Shad, we're just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know that we are supported by Medela Pump and Style Double Electric Breast Pump. This is not just a breast pump, it's a piece of serious high-tech equipment. Shane, are you ready to hear what this breast pump can do? Yeah. Okay, it has a new max flow vacuum technology combined with personal fit flex breast shields that provide effective stimulation and comfort, allowing for 11.8% more milk faster than pumps with a 90 degree breast shield. So it's gonna save you two hours of milking yourself per day, which is massive.
1: Oh, we had a breast pump on a vacation And it took you.
0: Oh, it took hours and not even just to get the milk coming out, but just to get the damn thing working. But the pump and style is absolutely incredible. It really does help to build and maintain milk production, making it the best alternative for shared feelings or when breastfeeding is not available. Plus, it has a modern and compact design that makes it so convenient and easy to carry around with you. You can buy the pump and style double electric breast pump at MedilaBoutique.ca, And if you use the promo code thisfamilytreatgift, you're going to receive an Easy Expression Bustier for free, which is a $48 value. But
1: well, you got to put the Bustier in your cart.
0: So again, that is MedilaBoutique.ca and this family treat Gift for the Easy Expression Bustier. This promo is available for Canadians only.
1: Okay, but now let's get back to our interview with Dilshad.
0: How do you implement gentle parenting or any type of parenting, for that matter, while facing judgment from others? So maybe people <laughs> in your own family, like you said, yeah. you came from India and that was not mm-hmm. how your parents yeah. did it, right? So, so how do you Absolutely. mitigate that?
3: So for me, because I live so far and um, I don't have that to helps. <laughs> see them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to see them on a regular basis. But that doesn't mean like I have had huge conversations with my mom about it. And yeah, she definitely thinks that this is a far better way to do things. And obviously she wishes she had known all this when she was, you know, Mm -hmm. parenting us. But again, um, my in-laws live here. So that gives us ample practice to, you know, um, put that into action. And I guess it all comes down to knowing what your boundaries are and, Coming from a compassionate place, I guess that is the biggest takeaway for me, as I've always been, is because they were brought up in a different era. They had a lot of things going on for them. They have their own emotional baggage and they come from a great place. They love their children and their grandchildren. They want what's good to them, but they are so set in their ways. So when I keep all that in my mind while I'm, you know, i um, setting some boundaries or, um, you know, letting them know that this is what we do and this is what we don't do. Yeah, obviously, they're not going to like all our parenting methods, but they know that, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's our job to raise our son. And that is what we're going to do, I guess, but because it's family, it's easier. But I I know exactly what you mean by the peer pressure, because when you're outside at a play center, or, you know, when you have your peers looking at you when you have to talk to your child and my son right now for the past three weeks so he was in the stage where he would play but he wouldn't actually interact with other children right he would just play alongside them so he was in that stage where he hadn't started interacting with them or wanting to play with them past three weeks everything's changed he wants to play with other children he wants to interact with them and we go to this play center thing which is sort of like an early childhood education thing Mm -hmm. but run by parents so three hours a day wow and it is pretty cool and yeah yeah, um, we get to stay there with him and I get to um, see how he's changed in the last three weeks and he wants to interact with the boys a lot of them um, four and five so they're still little but compared to him (laughs) they're a little older yeah and getting into their faces and into their space and, you know, wanting to play with them, but also not knowing how to do the social interaction and, you know, like the subtle art of how to be kind to our friends and right. stuff like that. And obviously that puts me as his mum in the spot, right? Like there are other parents there. They're all lovely. But obviously that we have that thing in our head. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to, you know, control my child. I'm not supposed to let him do yeah. that. And it's really hard to let that go and just, let him do his thing and you know when he's in a in a headlock with another child (laughs) comfort the other child comfort the other child console the other child like you know especially if it's an older child I like to say thank you for showing him how it's done he is little he's (laughs) still learning thank you for showing him you know how to be how to play nicely how to be a good friend and you know things like that so it is tricky for sure and I completely get the trying to do the right thing when you have so many peers looking at you
0: oh it's nerve-wracking not only are you trying to do the right thing but even if you know what you're doing is you feel good about it the second there's eyes on you it makes it makes me question everything anyhow it's it's hard and one thing i really wanted to touch on before (laughs) we go i was reading a little bit uh you were posting about santa claus and how to talk to your kids about santa claus And keep the magic of Christmas. So do you mind kind of going through that with me? Because I think obviously with Christmas coming, it's a huge topic. And we are fully lying. I will say this now. We are fully lying to our daughter (laughs) and telling her that Santa Claus, you know, is a fat man that lives in the North Pole. Uh And if you're a good girl,
3: he's going to come and fill your stocking. (laughs) All right. So growing up, we were brought up with Santa. We knew that, you know, Santa's going to come and we used to be excited to get the presents and stuff. And for the past couple of years, I didn't really think a lot about it because my son was really small to even, you know, know about Santa. Even now, he what I've told him is that just like Frozen, Disney, <laughs> Bluey, <laughs> Daniel Bluey. Tiger. Yeah. Oh my God. We love Bluey in our it's house. the best. Yeah. Daniel Tiger. Um they're all you know he knows that they're not real he knows that that is something he watches on tv so that's what I tell him that um, this is another sort of thing that a lot of people like to pretend it's real and we we did the tree he decorated the tree he put up the star we read books about it we you know do all the traditions but we always, as adults, we think it's black or white. Either you lie to your children or you ruin the magic of Christmas. Right. But our children's imaginations are so, so, so fertile. They love pretending. They love pretend play. They they have you know big long backstories about all their you know whatever is happening in their play. And it doesn't have to convince them that Santa is real to keep the magic alive. Disney princesses, like we don't you know we don't go about saying that oh. Belle is real or Cinderella is real or, you know, um, Elsa and Anna are real. And if somebody says that they're not real, we don't go, oh, don't say that. right? So I think the same, like growing up, um, I was, and I still am a huge Harry Potter fan. Yeah. I knew <laughs> it was not real. Yeah. I knew it was not real, but I can promise you that it was so magical. And it was, it was the best few years of my life growing up with that mm-hmm. franchise. So the whole point of it is that, yes, telling our children the truth only means that we don't want them to think that, um, you know, some somebody else who's not a part of our family is going to break into our house or right. somebody else who is not, you know, somebody is watching you and, and obviously the threats and, the you know, um, if you're not, if you're a naughty girl, you don't get presents or, you know, like it's just, it just becomes another commercialized way to um, manipulate our children.
0: Right. So... You know, you brought up the point about saying, "Oh, like if somebody says a Disney princess doesn't exist, you don't freak out and say shh." shh, shh. But yeah. with Disney princesses, I don't, ex- I don't explicitly say, like, "Oh, these people are just pretend." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like with Santa, I don't say Santa, Santa is real and believe in him, but I also don't say that yeah. he's just pretend. Should I yeah. be saying that kind of thing? Like,
3: it's. Honestly, there is no right or wrong answer here. Mm. A lot of people... A lot of people believe that this is what's right for their family and fits in with their views mm. they believe that we want to be honest about Santa because we want to talk clearly be honest tell them that this is not there is no real person who's actually watching them or no real person who lives in the North Pole who's actually going to fly over and come but at the same time tell them that this is a very fun story a very fun idea um, watch movies and let them pretend. Mm very, very interesting thing here is, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of her LR Nost. Um, she is another of my, one of my, she, she was the person who actually introduced me to gentle parenting. I fell into gentle parenting by reading one of her articles. She has an extremely interesting and opposite point of view. She says that in her house, in her family, um, They didn't tell children that Santa was pretend. Um, They just let them believe in Santa. And when they got to an age, when they actually started realizing that um, looks like it, that this is not a real person. So the parents would, you know, um, give them a special gift and say, congratulations, you've come to the realization that Santa's not real. That just means that it's your job to be Santa now. It's your job to become a part of our team who are, you know, like mom, dad and you. And we are going to continue this tradition for our younger children. And being Santa is a big job, and the responsibility is that you're kind, you're generous, you you know you help people around you, you bring smiles, and it was really beautiful.
0: I love that. I love that. It was that.
3: absolutely beautiful. And then yeah.
0: truly, because you can continue doing that. So we have also a five month old baby. So yeah. you know when our eldest realizes that, I think that's a great way to keep it going within the family, and then. Yeah even when the youngest grows out of it then you can use that as a chance to direct your kindness and generosity to specifically Outside. young children mm-hmm. in the community who are in need and absolutely. help them believe in the magic of you know just giving and kindness and christmas and that's really beautiful yeah i really i, like I absolutely
3: love that yeah, yeah thank you for sharing she's amazing that. Yeah. not at all
0: well dilshad I truly am so happy that we had the chance to sit down and chat with you today. I really like your perspective on things. And if listeners want to check you out
3: online, where can they go? So, um, I have my Instagram, um, account, the gentle mama, and I have, um, a Facebook page with the same name.
0: Okay, fantastic. And yeah. that's mama with two M's, correct? With two M's. That's right. Beautiful. That's right. Okay. Dilshad again. Absolutely. Thank you so much and, uh, have a great rest of your week.
3: Thank you. YouTube. It was great talking to you.
0: Absolutely. Take care.
1: Okay. Dilshad, you took the interview home and thank Dilshad, you. Dilshad,
0: thank you. Uh, okay. So love the whole interview, but the part that really stuck with me the most is the Santa Claus bit at the end. And I'm not on board with Dilshad. Not on board. Not on board with like her, you know, how she would perceive telling her kids about Santa and whatever. But the person that she referred to and their method is what I can get on board with. And I think that that is so special and really, really cool way to do things. So I really appreciate Dilshad coming on and sharing but so much You appreciate with
1: her friend more, it sounds like.
0: Well, I appreciate Dilshad for sharing what her friend had said.
1: Ooh, Dilshad burn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's get to the part of the show that I think is growing in popularity, and the reason for that is Alex is working so darn hard at making sure she's answering all the questions you, make you have. make me
0: so embarrassed when we do these intros now for this segment. Like, I feel so much pressure, Shane.
1: I, I like to give you the pressure because that's how you make diamonds.
0: All right. And that's
1: what we have right here. So let's get into the questions from our listeners that we're going to answer. I've never heard these questions. Alex has reviewed them all and perfectly answered them all.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's start with the first question. How are you guys celebrating Christmas in lockdown?
1: Well, we are. Alex is doing all the work. She's making the house look wonderful. I'm Eating more junk food than normally. I'm drinking more alcohol than normally. I'm trying to get into that let it go, let it go type of (laughs) mode you get into when maybe you're not counting what foods you're eating. You're you're hibernating for winter, and you kn- I think
0: it would do your nervous system a little good, Shane.
1: It does, and it doesn't, because sometimes when I start eating a lot of the sugars and stuff, I get this euphoric high, but then I come crashing down. And I mm-hmm. get a little bit of depressed, Shane. So you have to find that delicate find balance, balance that is my brain.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to the actual, you know, Christmas holidays, so because we are, of course, in lockdown because we are high risk. There is so much family we won't be able to see and that's really hard. Like my whole life, uh, we I have a small family and we'd have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with, you know, my immediate family and then my dad's brother and my two cousins who are like my sisters and we'd have like an awesome three days together just partying and eating and not to be able to see them this year especially having Betty, neither one of them have. Wait, who's Benny? Sorry, Betty. Sorry, that shot is still uh, impacting me. But neither neither of them have been able to hug Betty and all of that. And it's just that really, you know, it, it really saddens me a lot. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we are in quarantine with my parents and with Shane's dad and Nona. But uh, it's really hard because Shane's mom and stepdad Brad are not in quarantine with us and your sister and my, my brother, I think, will be taking a test and going in quarantine for Christmas. But your sister and your mom, we won't be able to get well, close to them. Well, we're going to
1: go to their place and hang out in the backyard.
0: So it's kind of cool. And for anybody else who is in a situation where they want to see people that, you know, are in their immediate family, but you don't want to get close, we're doing a backyard thing. And we're having like a, we're just going to dress for the weather. And we're going to have a bit of a backyard party, like daytime when the sun's out. So I'm excited for that. I think it'll be cool.
1: Yeah very uh, christmas to remember we'll never forget it
0: (laughs) okay next question (laughs) do you have a celebrity hall pass who is it or who would it be so i just want to start off by saying that i don't believe in hall passes of any kind because what like it's the ultimate chance to show your spouse that you are Faithful to them and respect them. It's like when your favorite celebrity wants to sleep with you and you turn them down in favor of your spouse. That is like the ultimate. So under no circumstances would I give you a hall pass, Shane.
1: No, because you have this thing too, which sometimes I find girlfriends of mine have had where they they think That you're some hot guy because you're (laughs) dating them. Like, you always put me on such a pedestal. Because you're you're
0: a hot guy. like,
1: Ooh, you're sexy. And then I'll go out and I'll be like, I better like beat them off with a stick if I go to the club. And then I like accidentally bump into a girl. It's like, you, you're gross. Get away. And (laughs) And then my confidence. So it's this roller coaster of confidence that I've just accepted. I cannot even if I wanted to, even if I was in the perfect circumstance and like Shannon Sossman, who was supposed to be a guest, I don't want to talk about it. But if she came on to me, I would not even think about it.
0: But here's the thing. If she said explicitly, Shane, I want to go have sex with you. Come with me back to my hotel.
1: I would say, Shannon, I want to. I'm dying to. I would love to. (laughs) But my wife said no hall passes. (laughs) And wouldn't you feel great about that?
0: I would. And isn't <laughs> <You> it <laughs> would?
1: that I'm dying to? No, I'm like,
0: no, no, no. I'd feel great about you, obviously not, but uh, I would no, want. But wouldn't you-, you feel
1: bad that I wanted to? Like, w- like you no, just God, like the fact no, that I'm not actually. No, doing no, no, no. Obviously, I would I feel want- terrible if you were like, like, let's say your hall pass was Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> and 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 you were like. You're the great one, but I want to show you how great I can be. But my husband says I can't. I would be like, Alex, that's worse than actually no, doing it. No, no, no.
0: Here's the, here's the thing. Well, because maybe you don't want to make the person feel bad and you don't want to just reject them. So you feed them these lines to, you know, make them not feel so bad about themselves. So That's, that's a little I...
1: sexual to make someone feel good. Just, be, just say, oh, no, I'm married. I'm sorry. That's fine. Yeah, but here's the thing. You don't w- have to say, you? oh, I want you. Would you? Would I what? Tell
0: that to Shannon.
1: Oh, I was going to say. He was a good stick handler, but (laughs) I don't go that way.
0: (laughs) Would you say that to Shannon?
1: Say. That you
0: weren't interested. That you. you...
1: I wouldn't say I'm not interested. What I would say is, I'm so sorry. I know you want this, but I'm married.
0: Mm -hmm. And would you ever give me a celebrity hall pass?
1: No. And women, I feel like, again, here comes sexist Shane, but I feel like women... (laughs) can sleep with celebrities. Like, I feel George Clooney would easily sleep with a waitress that he found really mm-hmm. attractive. Whereas maybe Pam Anderson, if I was, like, working at Kelsey's mm-hmm. and I was her waiter, she wouldn't go F me. Maybe she would. I Look
0: at Madonna's baby daddy. Didn't she just, like, find him off the street?
1: No, I think they, they hook up with, like, their dancers or something. Oh. I know J-Lo did.
0: Well, he was, he was a random dude. But... Uh, my celebrity hall pass, do you know who it would be?
1: Javier Bardem? No. (laughs) No, No, I don't know. No, um, who do you like? You like weird people. Tell me.
0: Probably Serge Ibaka.
1: Oh, okay. I knew that. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, uh, but I think... It's
1: ever since I showed Alex the picture of Serge Ibaka (laughs) wearing these sweatpants, where you can clearly see his penis is very large. And Alex... Loves that.
0: No, 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 I don't. I look at Serge's face. He's got a beautiful face. He's very talented above all else, obviously, which is why I think he's attractive because he's talented. He's six,
1: nine, and he can throw a ball through a hoop.
0: He's got huge talent, Shane. Huge. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the cooler story would be Serge Ibaka you know, asking me to sleep with him or French, just in, in French or Spanish or one oh, of I the languages him. that he speaks and turning him down and saying, no, Serge, I'm happily married, but thank you. I think that is the cooler story, turning down the hot celeb, like you're turning what down said, Shannon.
1: But what about just a little make out?
0: Just the tip.
1: Yeah, the just deep. the tip of my tongue. Would you make out with
0: him? I in a different tip, but no, I wouldn't make out with him.
1: Hmm. I respect that. Yeah.
0: What about you? Would you make out with Shannon?
1: No, I keep going to thinking you're talking about Serge. Uh, <laughs> no, I like, no, I wouldn't. I'd feel bad. I would. It's well, like that's the, the thing. The shame wanna... and guilt isn't worth it.
0: No, no. And and I do think it's a, it's a hilarious story to tell your grandkids. Oh, yeah, I turned down the hottest woman or the hottest man, aside from you, baby, uh, to stay faithful. I think that's cool yeah i don't I don't, I don't
1: I don't appreciate the patronizing aside from you baby knee touch no, I, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm not joking, but I do think that you are the sexiest man in the world I do and take that how you will, but that is how I feel all the time
1: okay, you're dead single, serge and I both approach you within a two minute period. Which guy do you go home with?
0: who's wearing the gray sweatpants? I am. <laughs> I'll take you.
1: But you can see no bulge whatsoever <laughs> yeah. and they're very tight sweatpants <laughs> where you should see something.
0: Are you I don't that that's tough, but it is time for the next question. All right. Changing changing directions a little bit. Here we're going to get a little serious. Is it better for parents to stay together if they're miserable or get a divorce? So if you have kids, you're in a miserable relationship. What is the better option? So, this is not something that I can speak to uh, as Shane and I obviously aren't divorced. This is my first marriage, and my parents never you can divorced. have an
1: opinion No, it,
0: well, though. here's the thing. So, I, I, I researched it because I don't have. Well, let me the give experience. my answer then. You give your answer.
1: Okay. Don't stay in a miserable relationship relationship much like Alex when she sees a man wearing gray sweatpants go after the D the D standing for divorce in this case because you don't want the children like there's still terrible energy coming off if parents Mm -hmm. are always fighting it creates uh like your nervous system can be shot like my parents divorced when I was six and still all that arguing I think it it shot my nervous system a little bit
0: Mm -hmm. And I think your sister, too. She's, like, very Oh, nervous. my goodness.
1: She, she, my sister has PTSD, and yeah. it's terrible. Like, I wonder, like, I could have been a confident man.
0: So I, I was researching this, and obviously there is no clear answer, and it has very much to do with, you know, each party and how they're willing to interact with each other, but... The risks of staying together generally are that the family dynamic will likely become overwhelmed with anger, pain, frustration, you know, just imagine that you're fighting all day living in that environment. And the children may start to kind of internalize bad parenting and relationship skills from watching this and, you know, living it day in and day out. So if you can't model how to deal with conflict effectively, and this goes for even couples that, you know... Aren't miserable, then your kids might develop the same ineffective strategies. So, like if you're arguing in front of your kids and swearing at each other in front of your kids, they're going to pick up on that, and that will translate to their parenting and their relationships. Uh, Another thing is that I read. uh, So again, this isn't my opinion, but kids may face physical or emotional neglect because the parents are caught up in their own issues, or you know they're not doing things together as a family, and then they're thinking, oh, does this parent not want to be here because, you know, they don't love the family when really it's just the two parents that can't be around each other. And then Judith Wallerstein, who the was... The,
1: Judith Wallerstein? <laughs>
0: you got it. She was the author of The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. So she so confidently believes that children are almost always better off if the families remain intact, even if the parents are no longer in love. Um, but of course... Like, you know, She's only, assuming
1: they can be civil and friends that, and everything. That's
0: the thing. Yeah. So if parents can't co-parent effectively in the same house, then divorce is probably the best option. And Donna Matthews, who has a PhD, I found an article that she wrote in Psychology Today, and she said that although divorce will disrupt things in the short term, it's like, you you can't get around that, in the long run, it probably won't have an effect on your kid's ability to function as happy and productive adults, right? Which is... I think you're generally, despite, you know, what you were talking about earlier, a happy and productive adult. Uh, So basically, I think the bottom line is just from the studies that I read was try to make things work if you can, as long as there's not abuse or, you know, anything really bad happening. Uh, But don't stay in a truly miserable marriage just for the kids because they will get over it. And if you are able to co-parent successfully separately, that's going to be way better off for everybody. And then you can live a fulfilled life too.
1: I want to know the parent that was on the verge of staying together in a truly miserable relationship. Listening to this podcast. Like loveless. Like,
0: oh. No, like I guess they're, they mean like loveless.
1: I know. I just, I want to know who we're helping right now. And I hope we are helping someone.
0: Well, somebody asked. So I know. I just, I'm, I, I'm not. reading is... in the studies, babe.
1: I know, Alex. This is interesting for everyone. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be funny if this actually was the catalysts of change (laughs) in someone's life?
0: Uh, All right, next question. Do you do New Year's resolutions and what are your resolutions for 2021?
1: Mine are always to be healthier work out more, exercise, do meditation. The same things. I'm I'm almost making a resolution every week. I'm just that type of guy. I truly believe it every time. And this is the best year I've ever had for actually maintaining it. Mind you, this has been a bit of a landmark year uh, in the f- sense that I've been actually able to stick to my plans because not too many other things have thrown a wrench in my plans like, you know, before I'd be like, "Oh, I'm not going to drink for a month" and then bachelor party would come up out of nowhere next week or a diaper party or whatever party seems to infiltrate one's life and that would throw me totally off course this year i've been able to stay on course and just use willpower without any Mm. external motivating factors throwing me off so yeah i've been very good this year i'm gonna hope to do more meditation uh, not that we've done a lot and <laughs> I want to have games nights as we've oh, discussed because I do like competition. It's something that makes me excited yes. and something to look forward to. But those are things in, uh, working out and going on my runs, even in the cold weather, I'm going to try to do that. What yeah. about you?
0: I want to try to, I just want to start feeling confident in myself all the time again. Like, you know, it's hard after having your second kid to feel totally self-confident and I I think no matter where you are in life, it's hard to feel totally self confident. But I just want to get to a level where I'm less picky, where I don't look in the mirror and you know wish one thing or another was different. So I want to start changing my mindset and I want to do the things that make me feel good. And God, like it's been so long since I've been able to do any exercise. But recently, we play, I got to play tennis a few times with you because the weather has been so nice. And that was so much fun. Moving around in a competitive atmosphere was like the best feeling. And I told you, I I didn't be myself after the last time we played tennis, which was huge for my pelvic floor physiotherapy. Uh, So that was a huge landmark for me. And because I'm at that point, I think I can start being active like that again. And there is like, I have so much fun Doing it, and I want the girls to grow up in a house where we're always moving because we like to, and because movement's a part of life and it's fun. And we, it's like it's such a way to bond together, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, I have no problem with moving, doing fun games. The problem with me is when the game isn't fun, like going Mm -hmm. on a run for me isn't fun. I do like it though, now I, I this wasn't always the case for me, and that is what I struggle with doing things that aren't fun but that are good for you.
0: You know what could be fun how to make running fun is we get a double stroller that's a jogging stroller and then we go on family jogs oh and you can push the stroller so that you get like uh, you know extra resistance that
1: sounds less fun to me because then I got a baby crying and what I found works is I put (laughs) what
0: no it's just so funny
1: no, that's <laughs> annoying like with the babies it's not motivation. I pu- I put a M&M on a fishing line on a stick in front of my head and I found that really does motivate me.
0: I know you think I'm going to believe that because I'm gullible as anything, but I'm not taking the bait. I'm not doing it.
1: I didn't expect anything except you to laugh at the <laughs> stupid joke. I don't expect you to believe that I tie an M&M to a twig, glue it to my head, and use it to, to chase.
0: You've said weirder things, and i believed it. What did you tell You told me something last night that was totally impossible, and I, I believed you. I don't know what it was, but let's move on. Would you rather work for a boss you hate and make good money or work for a boss you love and make minimum wage. I'll answer that first. I would rather work for a boss that I hate and make great money because you know you're save up and leave and get a new boss and get a new job and like
1: or just stay away from the boss. Find interesting ways where you don't have to interact with the boss. Because at my work, I can avoid my mm-hmm. boss, especially in these times.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I yeah, I would I would just take the money.
0: And like I've worked for enough bosses who I've loved where I made minimum wage like when I was younger and when I was a student. And like, it's nice. It's enjoyable. But then when you go home to spend, you know, the money that you're working all day making and you have none, then you're just kind of transferring where you're going to feel depressed. So instead of feeling depressed at work or like anxious and frustrated at work, I was just feeling anxious and frustrated and depressed at home. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. So if I think the root of the question is, would you rather make lots of money at a job you hate? Yeah, or- that. So you would rather make less money at a job you hate and then have a good home life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You're at the job more than you are at home probably, but yeah.
0: All right, next. How do I help my toddler cope and not get jealous or overwhelmed while they watch others getting gifts? In our house, we're already kind of experiencing this as we get packages in and we're wrapping them and it's like Lucy's getting the idea of what Christmas is. Like, oh, I'm going to get presents oh I have to give something to Betty but I don't want to give a present to Betty like I want to keep them all for myself and she's even getting already a little overwhelmed and jealous in that but Shane I thought you handled things so well so tell everybody what you told Lucy when she so Lucy we bought a gift that Lucy was going to wrap up and give to Betty And then Lucy decided to throw a fit this morning because she wanted to keep the unicorn.
1: Yeah, the gift was a unicorn. So Lucy keeps oscillating between wanting to give it to Betty and not wanting to give to Betty. And sometimes she'll be like... You can have it, Betty. I'm like, okay, well, well, it's for Christmas. But so you just ruined the surprise. Luckily, she's four months old and can't remember. So yeah, but like the gesture. And then the next day she'll be like, no, I'm not giving it to Betty. I want. And then I was coming out of the shower and you came in with Lucy. And we're like, Lucy wants to talk to you right now. And Lucy's like, I don't want to give Betty the unicorn. And I was like, well, that's fine. You can keep it. But you have to go up and tell Betty that you're not going to give her the unicorn. And if you can do that, you can have it. But just know, Betty may not want to give you a gift at Christmas. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Lucy thought about it. And like, she really did think about it. And she just changed her mindset. And then she realized you receive more when you give more. And then she all of a sudden wanted to wrap a gift with with Alex <laughs> and she was all in the Christmas spirit.
0: Well, it's so cute because since you guys had that conversation, so so Lucy has now taken the unicorn, she's wrapped it up in a box and then we put paper, like brown paper on it and she colored all over the paper to make it pretty. We put on a bow. We wrote to Betty from Lucy on it. And so
1: she can't even have the unicorn back the even if she wants well, and it. And
0: the thing, it's out of sight, out of mind I think now. Mm-hmm. So it's under the tree and Betty's going to open it. <laughs> and after she... She did that. She starts going, "Mommy, we need to get a tree for the neighbors." And I go, "What?" She goes, "We need to buy a tree for the neighbors." And I
1: go, oh, "Yeah, okay. the giving did get out of hand." And
0: yeah. but it's it's really sweet because she's also saying that she wants to get toys for the kids. I don't know what kids she is talking about, but I'm gonna roll with that. And we are going to bring some toys to some drives that are going around locally in the women and children's shelters. And I think that's such a good way to teach kids about the giving aspect of Christmas which is obviously so important and what things should be about but I think just talking to your kids and trying to teach them like the joy that you can get from giving and how helpful it can be to brighten somebody else's day or change somebody else's life and there's books and movies and whatnot that you can give and Take a trip with them to, I mean, it's COVID. I was going to say like a food bank or something. I don't know what you can do during COVID, but try to find ways that you can do something like that in your community and take your kid and see how they react. We think that they're so young and that they might not be able to really internalize what's going on, but just have faith that they can because even seeing Lucy's, Lucy changing today really reminded me how well they do get things. Yeah,
1: reverse psychology. Just do that.
0: okay next question do you have any christmas movies or books that you would recommend to kids so i'll start and then you can take it away shane so if you want to introduce a little religion if that's your vibe at all christmas in a manger we recently got that because i grew up catholic and i feel uncomfortable honestly doing christmas without teaching lucy why people celebrate christmas at all and i've really been thinking a lot about this and i do want to start kind of introducing Other religious holidays too are not just Catholic, as they come and go. But Christmas in a Manger is really cute little rhyming story that's really easy to read, really good for before bed. Uh, The Snowy Day is just a cute wintry story. The Nutcracker in Harlem, so it's a retelling of the Nutcracker that takes place in like the jazz era, which is very cool. It's an inclusive book, and the Smallest Gift of Christmas. So that is about giving and not getting, and again, it kind of teaches your kids about like. The joy of giving and how that is what Christmas is all about. But Shane, hit us with some classics. I don't,
1: you researched all this. I don't know. No, Arthur. No, no. These are Arthur's books. Christmas.
0: No, what he said. I thought you were gonna Armadillo hit, up, or whatever. hit us with the Grinch and Rudolph.
1: I like Rudolph, the, the Claymation classic. Yeah. I say, watch that.
0: It's the best.
1: That's the best one. Movies were allowed there too. Yeah. Okay, Rudolph, the Red Nosed Reindeer, Claymation version. You know what I'm talking about. Very hard to find on Netflix or anywhere else. But it is, in Canada at least, on DVD that I bought, purchased for very cheap. <laughs> and it's uh, it's great because then you know you have it and the streaming service can't take it away from you.
0: Is there any other movies? I feel like Lucy's been watching Christmas movies. Oh, we really got like Curious watching. George Christmas. Movie. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Curious George Christmas is cute. Got that at a uh, little drugstore up north for like three bucks. Yeah, I
1: don't know if it's a great film. But Curious George <laughs> is a great character in a potentially terrible movie. Oh, that's Christmas. I haven't watched it yet, though.
0: All right, next question daycare is feeding my vegetarian child meat should i complain <laughs> yeah
1: I, I would i would throw it out
0: there. <laughs> so so this is daycare so obviously your kid is likely vegetarian because that is how you chose to raise them and if you are against animal rights or you know if you are green and don't like the contributions to the greenhouse gases and carbon footprints then hell yeah talk to that daycare get that sorted out because that is so screwed up because this person also elaborated and said that the daycare is fully aware of the kids dietary needs that
1: this seems that should be illegal like i mean what if this was a religious belief or anything else I do not like that at all. That seems totally unfair. Like and that's that,
0: that's a cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, like
1: the, the, the people doing that should be reprimanded heavily.
0: They they should be like reprimanded. They should they could be charged. I'm sure if it was religious, but like, either get that sorted out, and they owe you at least. A very sincere apology, at least. Or just get your kid the hell out of there and go to daycare because are those people even trustworthy now at this point knowing your dietary preferences and specifically going against that?
1: Yeah, this one's easy question. Yes, 100% yeah. you're in the right for feeling wronged.
0: Next question. Do you and Shane spend the same amount of money on Christmas presents for each other?
1: I think it's close. I think it's
0: in the same range, I think.
1: But if you had to say who spends more, who would it be? One, two, three, Shame. me. Yeah, <laughs> just because.
0: I have a hard time spending money.
1: Yeah, I and I really want Alex, she's a very smiley person. I want her to feel good <laughs> on Christmas. It does make me feel better. I was definitely a person at one time I liked receiving more than giving. And this is late into my life. Probably like at the age of like 25 I started feeling better about giving than receiving. But. Um, that's the that's where I'm at, and I see.
0: I've, here's here's the thing. This year, I hope you didn't spend as much as I did on you. I think because I because that makes me nervous.
1: I think just I just for five Well, well, like we said at the beginning, because we haven't been going on vacations, like you know, we, we haven't been going out. Take little trips and dinners and things, and mm. it's like, of course, we are still using delivery services, which do add up sneakily. But the, there's major things that, like commuting, daycare, we're not paying for. So we might as well put it into the joy that is Christmas and, and put a little cherry on top of our gifts because we've been so blessed and we've been so uh, restricted on what things we can do. Mm-hmm. So we might as well have that extra, I don't know, tennis racket or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that on your list, babe?
1: Tennis racket would be a good gift, actually.
0: Yeah. Is your tennis racket right now no good?
1: it's okay like it, it loses quite a bit to your father <laughs> i would like your dad as a good mind <laughs> you that one's probably like a thousand bucks the way he cheats with buying all these things um but yeah i forgot what the question was but yeah
0: do we spend the same amount as, of money
1: on gas I, I spend slightly more because i love alex more
0: get out of here i'll take we had a fight the
1: other day yourself. who loves who more
0: yeah and and I, I think I, I love you I more. Still, you just
1: show it more, but no. I think it more. And
0: I think that's bullshit. I think that I do love you more and I think I do show it more. But because you were saying, okay, here was your argument was that you don't show it as much and therefore you internalize it more. Where I was no, like, that wasn't it
1: wasn't a therefore. What, what, I'm not saying because I don't show it as much, therefore I internalize it more or feel it more. I'm just saying the type of person I am, I don't show it as much as you, but I know for a fact I'm always thinking about it.
0: Yeah, and same here. So it's like, how can you get in my brain and know that I'm thinking of it less than you?
1: Because you're a very easy book to read.
0: Yeah, but Shane, yes, that's true. But there's still so many thoughts going on know, in here. No, but
1: I'm a total empath, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I feel everything you're giving me. And I'm going, okay, she loves me this much, which is still a lot. But since I'm me, I feel how much you're giving me, and I know how much I'm giving you. And I'm like, oh, it's like the Christmas gifts. It's very close, but Shane's just given a little bit more. You got an 85 on the love meter which is a ton. It's only out of 86, by the way. And I'm giving 86.
0: I don't know. Things are going to get hot in a second.
1: Wait, things are going to get hot in a second? I sec- mean
0: like hot and like like... Fighty, not hot and feisty. Heavy.
1: Okay. Oh yeah, heavy's much better than feisty in that. So.
0: <laughs> okay, but I will get hot and heavy if that's for your headset. Next question and our final question: What's better for a Christmas gift, something practical or something extravagant? I, if you can find something that's like that, you know, kind of toes both of those lines. Like, get something that is the extravagant version of the practical item that they would never buy for themselves.
1: The best gift is something that the person really wants, but they're not even thinking of. And the price doesn't even matter. If it's hard to get and it's seven bucks and it's like, Mm -hmm. where did you get that? I was looking for it. Like, you know, there's these little screwdriver sets that are very Mm -hmm. hard to get. I don't know. That's a bad example, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe they're probably easy to get online, but whatever. (laughs) Like if you picked out a shirt Mm
3: -hmm. that I've
1: never seen, but I think is awesome mm-hmm. and you introduced me to it on Christmas Day, that is an awesome feeling because I didn't even know I wanted it and I would have never saw it mm-hmm. had you not found it.
0: Well, let's hope that's how it goes. But speaking of gifts like that, I'm currently holding up a hat that Shane loves to wear. It's a denim hat. and But I
1: saw that hat before. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Or you did. I saw it on Instagram. You,
0: yeah, but you didn't actually consider it.
1: I liked it. But I I thought it would be... You thought it would be crappy quality. Shit. Because I've ordered stuff off Instagram and like the generic fake version showed up instead of Mm -hmm. the version that was advertised. But this hat really is an amazing hat. And thank you. This was a pleasant surprise and I really did love it as a gift. Thank you. Oh, uh, before we go here, I'm I'm off the top. I meant to say a weird fact about Alex because I'm trying to (laughs) say weird facts about Alex. So... Alex will laugh at jokes that she doesn't even understand (laughs) just because they have the, you know, vocal, the rhythm of a joke.
0: Because just because I'm not understanding it in the way that it's meant to be understood doesn't mean there's not something funny about it.
1: True. But there's sometimes I'll say a joke and you'll be laughing so hard. I'm like, well, I'll feel kind of good. And then I'll say, you, you get the joke, right? And you'll say, yeah. Yeah, because she... And I'll go explain it to me. And I'm like, no, well, that's not it.
0: That's, it's a whole level of funny that you didn't even know existed.
1: Right. Anyway, fact about Alex. But thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree podcast,
0: podcast. Episode 64.
1: Rate and like our podcast, please. We really would appreciate it.